Khan, you've got Genesis. But you don't have me. You are going to kill me, Khan. You're going to have to come down here. You're going to have to come down here. I've done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you. And I wish to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me. As you left her. Marooned for all eternity in the center of a dead planet. Buried alive. Buried alive. Everybody and welcome to episode forty-four of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm your host Becca, as always. Joining me on this nineteen-episode mission to review every single Star Trek movie are Chris, Dave, and Charlie from Films on Wax. How are you guys doing? Uh, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fun, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll let's try that again. Good evening. <laughs> <laughs> That's staying in. Fucking go. I'm good, thank you. Great. You're not fun. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I, I, I may not sound fun, but I've got my party hat on, so there you are. Sparky yeah. party hat. That's what we want. Well, that went very, very well. <laughs> my face hurts already. I'm Get I'm ready to, for another couple of hours of professionalism. This <laughs> <is>. <laughs> Anyway, I'll carry on. This time, it's all about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan! <laughs> my Khan impression. caught in something as he introduced <laughs> I mean, to, to, to be fair, that was better than the, um, the Spock delivery in uh, <laughs> Into Darkness. <laughs> carry on. <laughs> this time, it's all about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, starring William Shatner, Ned Nimoy, DeForest Kelly... James Dewan, Michelle Nichols, George Takei, Kirsty Alley, and Ricardo Montalban, written by Harvey Bennett, Jack B. Sowards, scored by James Horner, and directed by Nicholas Mayer, and released in 1982. So, what do we reckon to the second Star Trek movie? Yeah, it's alright, isn't it? Dave? Oh, no. <laughs> I think that's pretty definitive, actually. Good night, folks! <laughs> what can we I think that's the breakdown the, the listening community's been doing. Yeah, um, okay, well, this is... 
uh, Rafa Khan. Um, it's probably, yeah. You know, okay, I mean, Chris, I might have criticised your analysis there for a moment, but just naming the film doesn't correct. That. I'm about, I'm about to <laughs> elaborate on it. No. Um, oh, sorry, it's the Wrath <laughs> of Khan. No, no. Um, it's it's considered to be the best Star Trek film for good reason, generally speaking. Uh, I think what it is, I think I touched it last week. Um, it. It it kind of ma- like marries like um, it. Ugh, let me see that again. It basically gives gives Star Trek fans uh, a, a well constructed story that meets all the criteria what they want from a Star Trek film. But it also is enticing for non Star Trek fans, i.e., you know, everyone likes and understands a good revenge thriller. Essentially, you know, it 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 describes what's happened in. That in uh, Space Seed, the, um, the the original Star Trek episode that had Khan, so if you hadn't seen Space Seed, it doesn't matter. You kind of get told what you need to know and just move on with it. Um, and it it's just very well crafted. I think the reason why it's upheld as high as it is is just because it's a well told it's it's well told well told story, really well made. I mean, it's it's not particularly dazzling in terms of its look, but it. It just works as a film, and I think the other Star Trek films lack in something. There's, there's always some sort of fault in it in, in some way, or it doesn't quite appeal to, to others. You know, there's, there's diversity there, here and there, but this one, everyone can agree, they can sit down and enjoy Rafa Khan, and I think that's probably why it's held as the best that it is. Guys, what do you think? Um, if I had ever appeared on your top five show that you used to do, this would have been one of the five I'd Well, discuss. you still might go on it there. I might bring it back and, you know. I, I, there's going to be tons of surprises in it by the time <laughs> we've got a couple of these. Um, yeah, th- this is one of my top five favourite films, I, I would say. That list can normally be fluid, but there's two or three that are always in there. And so, you tell me, so you tell me this film is above Octopussy for you? Oh, Christ, that's a tough one. <laughs> well, it would have been by Christmas 1982, but Christmas 1983, it might have been a different story, obviously. Um, having said that, I, I do wonder if, uh, if if Khan has a grooming suitcase as well. Because, <laughs> well, for, I mean, I, I know we're supposed to believe that like he's a bit of a Superman and can make you know the, the inhospitable work for him. But that is quite the hairdo he's got in this film. Um, it's one of my favourite films, without any question. It's it's not as key to the series for me as, say, Majesties is for Bond, because I can't think of the Bond series without without thinking of, of, of that particular film. With this one, there's plenty of Star Trek I can watch without even thinking of this. But what it did do for the series is it not only did it provide the best film, in my opinion, although we, we will put that to the test in the coming weeks. I think it's unfortunate uh, downside is it ruined it inadvertently ended up ruining the next generation films. And when we get to them, we'll, we'll talk about how they would always look back and say, well, my favorite's the wrath of Khan and we want to do something like that. So I think that it, I think a lot of people try, have tried to mimic it without realizing what works Yes, it does work as a revenge thriller, but in some respects, all the all the depth in it is is the things I alluded to last week that the, the characters are allowed to age, and all of the aspects of the film come together to fit this theme of of this sort of meditation on aging and use usefulness, and it's a bit meta as well because 
William Shatner had to let go a lot of a lot of his vanity for this film. And yeah, I think it's a very, very special film in the series. I really do. And also the, the last thing I'll, I'll just say is that it is responsible for the films and the television series taking on a much more sort of nautical naval tone thereafter. And I think that's to the benefit of the franchise. I think what, what makes it worse, when you think of Rafa Khan, you think, oh, it's more action-packed, but it's actually, there's, it's predominantly all character. It is all character. I mean, as I say, I must let Charlie come in with what he thinks in a minute, but there are films later on that try and mimic it with action. That There's that phrase here, you know, that, that I'm reminded of, necessity being the mother of invention. Well, this has a, a too low a budget to do an awful lot of things you would do if you could just throw money at it, and the film actually ends up being better, if not, unfortunately, as pretty for that. Yeah, um, I mean, <clears throat> like like the Bond series, um, they kind of got, it got to a point where Star Trek started being defined by how good its villains were, as opposed to kind of it actually being like Star Trek. Um, without a doubt, Wrath of Khan is objectively the the best in the series. Um, it's just as Chris said, it's a really well crafted film. Um, just just in terms of, of the way it's edited, the way it's, it's written, everything is really nicely put together. Um, you've got the uh, the action and you've got the whole revenge story in that, but you've also got the kind of more Star Trekky parts with the Genesis device and all the kind of things that that throws up, and still is relevant this, uh, right now at this moment. Um, in terms of our own politics here, and but mostly the um, the relationship with Spock and Kirk, and how that plays out, and again, the, like, like Dave said about aging, and um, how these relationships work, and that for me is is why this is this film is is the most successful because of how it treats those relationships. Yeah, I mean, it's not because it does a great final battle for example is it i mean there are some interesting things about the final battle in this film but, but had this had this film avoided a final battle entirely i think they could have found a way to make it just as good yeah i think i think it's still probably the best i mean i think that or um undiscovered country um what in terms by of the same, the by the same direction in terms well. of how yeah exactly in terms of how good the battle is and not only how good in terms of kind of like action and stuff like that but how could the the thought behind it like the whole thing about three-dimensional thinking and stuff like that yeah is is a really nice touch and the way like you said it's nautical it's naval this the end of this film is basically two submarines underwater obviously where submarines would be um but they're basically sort of like they're, they're, they're going in blind, aren't they? They kind of like you know the exactly the defense. Yeah. The, the, both ships are damaged anyway, but the defenses are limited because mm. of their environment, and they're kind of just going up. Yeah, you know, they're waiting for the ping, mm. essentially. And and yeah, and because because Star Trek has always been about allegory as well, um, and that's that's one of the best things it does is taking things that we're familiar with and putting them in this space setting. Um, and then going from there, and yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's probably why it's so successful to uh, to people who aren't necessarily huge fans of the franchise as well. Uh, yeah, certainly. Um, we will see Moby Dick re- return to later in the series when we get to yeah. uh, first contact. It does underpin some of this story. Becca, what did you think? Yeah, I got the obvious Mo- uh, Moby Dick vibe from this. It's just 
um, obviously being the newcomer to the Star Trek series, um, I think obviously you know they made the, they sort of they made the right choice in, in picking Space Seed as the one to you know to make the sequel to. Um, no, I really I much not that I dislike the motion picture, um, but I preferred it hugely to the motion picture because um, it's yeah it's much better crafted. You haven't got Roddenberry really fiddling around it and doing the George Lucas style messing up with the movie. Um, I think Dave, your points on kind of as meditating on on age and usefulness as well is really important as well. The, te- the team are kind of allowed to age gracefully and be shown aging gracefully as well. Also, there's a scene where um, we'll mention later on that um, Bones gives Kirk some some glasses in. Here you are, you're allergic to contacts. Have these, and you just you know has to kind of put them on in secret. But <laughs> then I, I really yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, first time he puts them on, you get a sort of damn it. Yeah, I love I love I love that character moment. <laughs> It just shows that you know he's kind of he's accepting that he's growing old, but he's like he needs it to be able to do you know do a bit of subterfuge and quickly whilst Khan isn't looking. Um, but all, all the characters are, are really on form. He sees, and, it, um, sees it as a weakness, doesn't he? Really, so he's like oh. he, he does. He's, he's trying it, not to uh, appear to uh, aging, him. but it, aging is also a slow death, and, and this sure. death is very much a theme of this. I didn't exactly. mean to be all morbid there, listeners, but obviously <laughs> we do decline very slowly. Hopefully towards well, like, our yeah. end and and this is about death as well it's something as we get through the film kirk has never had to deal with he has but only in a in a way any captain would where he he loses sort of what he would almost see as like a percentage of his fleet on a mission or a few people he hasn't lost those people close to him and we talk about how uh, we will get to a very important scene in the film where we where we talk about how kirk views how, how kirk takes on sort of negative probabilities and so on um it, it's a fascinating film in every respect and only part of it is a fight with a superhuman yeah it's, more, it's much more character driven isn't it it's not about you know the final big battle at the end or even you know special effects or things like that but it's just it's more it's more character driven study i think i mean kirk doesn't uh come even face to face with khan you know it's all done no. through the ships they never have screen, that one on like fist fight even i mean that, that's, well, that's like... the necessity being the mother of invention again yeah. uh, two reasons for it are, are budgetary um i really don't want to step too much on becca's fun facts but they don't meet because they're effectively on the same set of weeks apart um, it's a redress of the Enterprise set. Um, but also, they, they didn't have Montalban for that long. So it wasn't, you know, could they have arranged something? They could have. But we'll see in later films that just sticking in a fist fight for the sake of it actually. No, I think having that kind of men- mental and verbal sparring, I think, would have been, it was a lot more effective. I think you, you didn't really need them to be together on screen. I mean, you saw them have that epic fight in Space Seed. What more could you want? But to well, see them to have that, you know. Well, I don't know. I mean, like. Well, yeah. No, you know what I mean. But yeah. That, that lead we pulls out is very, very polystyrene. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, the, kind of the mental and verbal sparring between them, I think, which is enough. So. I did. I do wonder: was it ever consider, consideration to recast Khan uh, at that at that time? So I do. I mean, I know uh, Montalban was he was he a big star? I know he was on like was it? He was still on Fantasy. Fantasy I don't Island. know when. I, I know. I, I don't know the run dates for Fantasy Island in terms of when this film came out, but I do know that he was he was either still on it or had not long finished it. Because um, they, they, you know, they took, yeah, Nicholas Mayer took Montalban to, to lunch and basically it was written for him. Or was it Harve Bennett? One of the two took Montalban for, for lunch and basically saying, we're writing this for you. It's and he was, he was very, very, yeah, they smoothed him a little bit. They went back through the old series. Now, originally, the original idea for a, a sequel to this 
when Roddenberry thought he was going to write it, was basically still going to be a sequel to an original series episode, but it was going to be a sequel to City on the Edge of Forever. In that The Guardian of Forever would have been found, I believe, I might be misremembering this because it's a little while since I read it, but they were going to find The Guardian of Forever, and basically in an echo of sort of what would later come with First Contact, they would kind of assimilate Earth in the past. Um, and there were versions of this story where sort of Spock had to sort of kill Kennedy from the grassy knoll, which just makes me think of Red Dwarf 7. Yeah, yeah. yeah it does. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure about that because I've read versions, or I've not read the versions of the script, but I've read testimony where people have said um, you get a scene between JFK and Kirk and JFK is still alive. I've had a, I've heard read other versions where they've got to correct the timeline by shooting him. But certainly the original, that was the original idea. Um, and it morphs through lots of different drafts into this. Jack Selwoods is the is listed as the writer. This is this is Mayer's film. I mean, he, he, he basically combined, what was it, about five scripts, Charlie? I think so, yeah. And um, he actually um, was not, uh, yeah, he's not credited in the writing, but he wrote just about all of it. Um, and that's kind of, yes, and this, his stamp is kind of all over it for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, I remember re- reading up about how how they said that it was going to be a mini series on TV of, as, at some point, and there just a sequel, a direct sequel to the uh, to the original series again, um, and have all sorts of old characters from the original series. But um, they definitely made the right choice. Um, and yeah, it's it's such a such a different film than any of the others in in terms of how well produced it is and, and how kind of fresh it is and Myers kind of prints on the uh, on on the series on a whole is um is spectacular and certainly one of the reasons why he's uh been brought back for discovery he is directing and writing and directing an episode of that i believe mm. what well, wasn't he approached to do um the next gen nemesis film as well do you I'm know, sure I really don't know. Uh, I, I have read, I, as I say, I've been reading both volumes of the 50-year mission. I've, I've finished both of them now. But obviously the the combined total of that is something like 1,400 pages. So you forget things you read. I, I know of him being offered things in the series that he didn't end up doing, but I honestly can't remember now what they were. I can, yeah, he's probably one of the ones who's like constantly being offered Star Trek anyway, because of Rafa Khan and yeah, absolutely. And again, I you know I, I read up on reread up on these films as we get to them. So if if it isn't this, you know, when we get to it, I might well read that was the case, or it might well have been generations. I'm I'm not quite sure, but um, off the top of my head as we speak. But certainly the reason he's not credited is quite frankly they didn't have time to hammer out a deal. This was being he was he was on to direct. He wanted to see the sh- scripts that were done. No one was happy with any of them. Uh, five scripts were delivered to him, I believe. He combined them in 12 days because they said he had 12 days until they still needed to start proper pre-production with set building and everything else. And 12 days is not long enough in that industry, I believe, to do uh, those sorts of deals. So he just got on with it and said, we'll worry about it later. Um, in, in that regard, I mean, he, he's, the, he's the credited writer on four and he wrote and directed six. So, I mean, it, it still did him some good in the long run. But um, certainly the stuff around ageing and the stuff around sort of relevance and, and death are very much his draft. The glasses are him. 
and, and those sorts of conversations. But um, and also, we we ought to um, touch upon now. If you're listening to this, we'll assume you've seen the, the Wrath of Khan. You should know by now we spoil all the way through. But um, obviously, uh, Spock is killed off in this film. There are lots of contradictory uh, conversations in the book about him playing Spock and whether he wanted to or whether he didn't and, and all the rest of it. And it gets very he said, she said. The, the gist of the film, though, was he signed up on the basis he would be killed off very early in the film. And through the various drafts, it just kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And then through the process of making the film, he enjoyed it so much. Hence those little sort of hints of hope within the film we get to. So so the, so I always wondered this because you know, he does have a, like, a little moment where he, he goes to uh, McCoy and goes like, oh, remember and it's and it, and was that like oh we'll just figure that out later on <laughs> yeah we'll figure something out. Uh, certainly, the stuff on the Genesis planet after he dies is is all sort of outside of uh, Mayer's influence, and I think that may have been too. Yeah, because um, uh, yeah, because yeah, the the original um, the original film kind of just ended with it just going uh, into space, um, so there's nothing about the, gen- the the torpedo on the Genesis planet. And nothing about the little remember bit. It was only when they kind of got to it at the end and they thought, okay, we've made something really good. Have we written ourselves into a corner if we kill off Spock? And then kind of went back to uh, to leave in a little insurance policy, um, which Maya didn't like at all. I mean, to be fair, you, you know, I mean, I do often wonder this. Wouldn't it be better if they just kept Spock dead? Because you you had like I know, I know Kirsty Alley didn't stay on, but you essentially had like a potential Spock-ish replacement there. Well, that's why that's why Savick is there. Oh, okay. That is why Savick is there. There was where well, there was with an eye to be doing that. Um, I've always got very mixed feelings on it. I actually think it's very hard to switch off what we know now, and that two years later yeah. they release a film that's called The Search for Spock. Um, so, you know, Leonard Nimoy directing, I mean, there was no secrecy about any of that, but I do wonder at the time, it just says hope. That's all it says. And that is one of the themes of this film. There's never any guarantee at this point that, um, there's going to be another one from a pure perspective of commerce. And when you think that last week we were looking at a $46 million film this week, we're looking at something that's a more around the 13 mark. We are looking at a film series that is not assured of its future at this stage. So had Star Trek ended at that point, I don't think anyone would have said, oh, they left it on the most awful cliffhanger. They didn't. Spock was killed, but were given just this little bit of hope and maybe, because Genesis is life from death. Because like, if it was like Star Trek, uh, the series, you know, like Spock could come up again, but not, but later on in the series and next season or something, or there'll be like little sort of trinkets here and there that like, um, that Spock was cloned or something, or like is Spock, but he's not quite how he was, you know, little things like that could have like could have crept in here and there. It's it's difficult to see because Spock is so much of of the heart of what Star Trek is about, um, and having Kirk and Spock and McCoy. But those those two, the human and the alien, coming together, and the friendship between them, and everything about that is is, is so much a part of why why so many people love Star Trek. Then seeing Spock leave, 
um, especially the way Leonard Nimoy plays that character. I mean, he's he's such an underrated actor. The way he's he's played that character over the years, um, and he just does a miraculous job. Especially when you see just about every other Vulcan that's ever been in Star Trek, save for maybe Sarek. Um, well, I think I think um, Lee, uh, Lee Moy. <laughs> um, Lee, Lee, Lee Moy. Um, he's he's a, he's a strange guy. It's like it's almost if like he's the ideal person to play a Vulcan. You know, because like, I can't hmm. think of anyone else who could nail that. Because he, because he, 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 even when he's like when you see him interviewed as himself, you know, you can't help but think. Oh, that Spock! Or that, you know, he he doesn't quite look. He doesn't quite look like everyone else. He's very unique um, as a person, and 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 don't and, forget they 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 wrote to the original actors as well. Yeah. But you go back and watch the cage. Spock like smiles in that. Yeah. You know, over time they they develop it and they develop it with him. I mean, the, even a little thing like the Vulcan salute that, that was Nimoy. He just yeah, like that was came his up idea, with wasn't that. it? Um. There are lines in these things that all of them at different points um, improvise. I do did, agree. Did he come up I, with I, the Vulcan nerve pinch? I think he may have done, actually. Well, I, 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 I bet that was like, I can't be asked fighting. <laughs> <laughs> Something easy. Yeah, it, it's the Harrison Ford, you know, can't I just shoot him? <laughs> yeah. but, I, but I do wonder, um, and yeah, maybe you guys can answer this, the Vulcan nerve pinch, can anyone do it, or is that purely Vulcan, that's a purely Polk, uh, Vulcan thing? Well, it's the one thing I don't think was researched in that I can't imagine, say, Roddenberry was on the set of the original film trying to, like, <laughs> grope people until they got knocked out. Oh, that's what you do. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, but, it, I don't know. We, we, not sure. Is I'm not it, curious it, on that was it, was it Data that did it? In Data. the... Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, Data. Data. Yeah. M- McCoy, tr- McCoy tries it in the next one, but can't do it. But, oh. so, yeah. Other than that. Uh, it might well, be that, a real thing. Uh, no, it, it's almost no. certainly not a real thing. <laughs> so it's just Vulcans have a real knack for doing it. They just know it's it like. I've said it before that most other Vulcans play play uh, are played sort of uh, featureless as opposed to emotionless. Yeah. And I I just get so sick of the really blandly delivered dialogue. You know, there's, there's just a slight playfulness under the surface with them. Yeah, you kind of get like the raised. The raised eyebrow when he like you know when he when he, when he we, we ponders things it's almost like does a Roger Moore. Like, oh, well. We see it really early yeah. in this film with the fake death scene. Yeah. As soon as as soon as mm. Shatner's on the stage, he, he speaks and Nimoy's eyebrow goes up. Yeah. With Roger, unlike Roger Moore, that's the only thing that goes up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a part of it's the voice. I mean, part of it is definitely the voice. I mean, yeah. the, I mean, the acting ability is important, and the the ownership of the character and everything else. But even if you liked Zachary Quinto's take just as much, what he doesn't have, just as what John Cho doesn't have when it comes to Sulu, is that Ooh, uh, incredible oh voice the original had. It's not shot to the it's not shot to the same sort of budget as last time. And one of the um, casualties of that is Jerry Goldsmith. We did get oh yeah, it's not like James Warner's score is any the worst though. I I still quite enjoyed the score. Oh um, no, it's but, young and cheap. But uh, yeah, that, that, that does sound. I, I can't quite describe it. No, we're not, so not saying the, the score is cheap. No. We're saying that they could not afford Jerry Goldsmith. No, he was too so expensive. They got, they got a guy at a different stage of his career. Yeah. Well, basically, at, at the time, um, Joe, Joe Goldsmith was in his prime. 
Um, he had an Oscar nomination for the motion picture. Um, I think he might have had one for Alien in the same year because he did Alien at the same time. Um, so he was really in demand and, and somebody um, had a big price. James Horner had literally done a few films um, previous to that, um, one of which was a, uh, a very cheap knockoff film called Battle Beyond the Stars, which was a, Richard, which was a Roger Corman film and uh, where his uh, his score is very much you tell the temp track was full of John Williams's Star Wars and Jerry Goldsmith's Star Trek. Is that the one that's like the Magnificent Seven but in space? Yes, yes. Yeah. That's the one with uh, Robert Vaughan and uh, George Peppard. Um and, and is uh, John Boy in it as well. Yeah, and John Boy from the Waltons, <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, and a spaceship that yes, looks like a big pair of tips. It's, it, oh, um, it's great fun. It's great fun. I wasn't really <laughs> listening. Then Charlie said tits. Go on. <laughs> no, he's hooked. Um, and it, no, it's, it's a fun film. And, and Horner's score is really fun as well. And there's a lot of kind of hallmarks that he did in that. And also in a, uh, a couple of scores previous to Khan, there's one called Wolfen, which was a horror film, a really underrated horror film, actually, that shares a lot of characteristics I've with uh, um, with with Khan. And uh, certainly that would go that would go would go on to be somewhat sort of a uh, hallmark of his career, that um, both positively and negatively. Um, but uh, yeah, Horner. I mean, at the time Horner was actually dating Jay Goldsmith's daughter at the time of the first Star Trek, and actually got to uh, um, sit in on some of the recording sessions and get some first-hand knowledge. Um, so he he certainly brought that to Ratha Khan, and it's, yeah, it's a brilliant score. How do you think it compares to the Joe, Joey Small, um, Joey Small, Joey Goldsmith first? Uh, <laughs> the Jerry Smaldick. One of the names. I know. I know who you mean. Don't worry. It's um, it's so different. Like it, it, it's like comparing Alien to Aliens. Yeah. yeah. Again, where Joey Goldsmith did the first one and Horner did the second one. Um, they're, they're such different films. So, um. Uh, the motion picture has got so much more of a kind of sci-fi hard edge to it um, and kind of the kind of pseudo kind of 2001 attempts whereas um, Ratha Khan is essentially yeah it's a submarine film in space um, so it's it's got those very kind of nautical naval colours um, and there's a lot more emotion in it because it is very, because of the, the, the themes of death and age and the whole thing with Spock and everything. Um, and also just grander but more austere, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. And there's a lot more kind of weird alien stuff in that, whereas yeah. here this is much more grounded. Like Spock's theme is much more kind of, kind of grounded towards something that we're kind of familiar with. Um, and, if you haven't uh, seen yes. the film, it's a theme to EastEnders. <laughs> That's Spock's theme. It's of choice. Yeah, whereas in whereas in Jerry Goldsmith's score, it was very kind of obtuse and, and quite actually quite alien. Whereas here, it's much more kind of to the uh, um, to his human side. But to be uh, fair, so, in that film, we weren't supposed whether we weren't supposed to know. I don't think the film really sold it, but we weren't supposed to know whether to trust Spock. Well, no, exactly. For a large portion of that yeah. film, so that would make sense. Yeah. Uh, the other the other thing I mentioned in sort of my little intro before we get to the actual film when I talked about sort of the conception of this film is Roddenberry's largely on the outs after this one. The last one was so um, not only so expensive, but it's also, um, well, that was the big reason, the cost base, but most of the costs costs were 
uh, him noodling around and over, over fussing over, well, micromanaging, shall we say. Um, so Harv Bennett, who had a TV background, was giving it when Mayer come on board. This is one of the bizarrest things he reports, that he actually argued with Roddenberry because Roddenberry said um, it's... Uh, we'll get to his, He argues about some silly things by this point. We'll get to a couple of them as we go through the film. But one of them in particular was this nautical feel to it. Roddenberry said, no, it's not naval. And he said, how is it not naval? He said, you've got the bridge, you've got the captain. They're all sort of naval ranks. You know, below sort of decks, you've got engineering and, you know, you've got a tactical sort of security officer. You know, he just said everything about this is naval. And Roddenberry said, no, it isn't. <laughs> so it's just like, um, yeah, so a, a, something that I've always taken. And, and I think the point I'm making with that is um, Nicholas Mayer, despite the fact this is one film, although he did come back later. He has reshaped how people younger than this film, if you like. I was born before it was released, but I I wasn't aware of it on first release. Um, It's reshaped how we see Star Trek, because I took it as read that it is effectively a a less aggressive and militaristic version of sort of... It's a, a cross between the Navy and the sort of diplomatic corps in space. And... To have to hear that the creator of it said no, it isn't, is just like how. <laughs> then uh, Roddenberry's approach was like basically anything that's that wasn't drama, wasn't it? So mm. yeah, I, I guess it's just a matter of perspective for Roddenberry. I mean, he just doesn't see it that way. You know, he, he's thinking more about the vision and and you know and, and where where we can go in space and 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 ideas rather than like looking at some things for what they are you know and and the thing is though we're we're not looking when i say naval i I do not mean war or conflict at all i literally mean the sort of touchstones of it yeah that the the rank structure the referring to people as mister and so on it it is very naval and i know that he when he came on board he was particularly with the uniforms he was like it's got to reflect that I, I don't like this sort of pajama look, as he described it. <laughs> no. Um, and, and he just said, you know, with the colours, he wanted it to be bolder, and he wanted it to be much more uh, naval in tone, and it is. I th- uh, yeah, I think they they look a lot better, look a lot smarter. Um, they they look more iconic as well. I mean, I know he had like the the sixties, you know, jumpsuits in the original series. I mean, they're iconic, but. Now it's moved on. It's it's bit, it, even now it looks very modern and you know and fitting really. Compared I mean, to like the motion it, picture, I can tell that more money's been spent on the costumes than, as I say, the sort of terry toweling pajamas last week. I don't know if it's money or just thought or, or just, just well, yeah, more, more design, more, more effort generally. Uh, I, but even um, that scene where the, that engineer dies and you see that blood smears on that white patch on the on the uniform, it's just you know it just stands out. You know you wouldn't necessarily have that same effect on. Like the pajama look, or, or the, the thing with that, that flap is, I can't imagine it's any more comfortable undone. But no. but it gives that kind of. It's a bit like you know a crooner undoing his sort of bow tie late in the evening. It's got that same feel to it, and of course the non-commissioned staff are do remind me of sort of the sort of naval staff with those sort of that bib effect on it. Do, do you think it maybe might, it sort of represents like on duty, off duty kind of thing? 
what you mean is if like, like buttoned up or not buttoned up <laughs> yeah kind of thing you know he's sort of like okay well i'm not you know strictly you know no i just think it's a very shorthand way to show uh weary Jack, tired relaxed lots of different yeah. things what do you think, charlie yeah no I, I agree um it's it's funny that this it was like this and then you look and if you watch return of the jedi luke skywalker's kind of got the same idea um by the end of the film with his outfit um with the uh, the white patch that comes down which some people kind of say it comes down at the same moment that he kind of turn says it's he's not going to turn to the dark side so whether or not it's kind of symbolic there so the lesson, kids, there is the dark side keep themselves neater. Always go to the dark side. <laughs> um, but, but certainly the, the kind of the, the, the bloody hand on it um, is yeah. is certainly uh, something that, that shows up because of the white. Um, I mean, I, I actually think that the, the choice of red reminds me more of Napoleonic era army yeah. more, more than yeah. navy. And they used to wear red so that the blood wouldn't show. Um, but definitely, it, it is mainly naval in theme, but it just adds that slight military yeah. structure to it. I mean, I, he also turns down the lights on the bridge significantly. And the other thing he said on his commentary, which I listened to, was he put as much sort of blinking lights and stuff everywhere as he could to make it look like a hive of activity and centre of operations. And there's also the red light as well when they... Uh... When they go into red alert mode, which is really, really effective. And I don't think we have we seen that before, Charlie. I don't even thought of that. I did, not in. Um, I did. I don't believe it was in um, the motion picture at all. And it wouldn't I have been in the TV that. series. I wouldn't. No. Have I mean, it, I, going back to Roddenberry, <clears throat> it makes me wonder if he kind of hit his head sometimes between making the original series and then going on the motion picture and and talking with uh, Maya. Because when you look at the, um, I mean, obviously he's only one of. A number of people that had huge effects on making the uh, the original series, um, but when you look at the original series and supposedly his original pitch mentioned the captain, who at that point was a captain called Robert April, yeah. was supposedly a space age um, Horatio Hornblower, and then you look at things like Balance of Terror and things like that, mm. and uh, and you think, really, is a and, and there's no parallel to the navy in your mind there, Gene. Yeah, at all. But, uh, you know, if you're but, yeah. saying it's not 100% allegory for the Navy because the Navy are there to defend and ready to fight mm. and everything else, That's and fine. we are about ex- exploration, then fine, I accept that. But at least in structure, it is somewhat aping the Navy. Yeah. yeah. He just sounds like a very eclectic fellow. <laughs> he picks and chooses from what he wants. And yeah, like, well, no. they, they'll, there'll be another thing I'll point to later where I just think that you were just bitching and moaning for no reason he was given nothing to do on this film except sort of i can't remember his exact title but it was effectively a creative consultant type thing where he would get he would get a chance to look at scripts and that was about it but they ignored most of his notes and some of the notes he gave were was ridiculous but also he leaked the death of spock and spoiler alert for star trek 3 but it isn't a spoiler if you haven't seen it in as much as if you were watching it at the time, it was in the very first trailer. First 15 seconds of the trailer, you see the Enterprise blow up. And they did that because they knew Roddenberry would leak it as soon as he found out. So this guy is becoming a thorn in the side of this series at this point. It's notable that, um, as, as far as I know, one of the reasons the beginning is the way it is, is because the idea of Spock's death leaked out. Yes. So I think so. they, they kind of kill him once. 
early in the film, and then that kind of puts your mind at rest and think, oh, oh well, that was end. it. That was it. Yeah. We heard it was going to be early in the film as well, because <clears throat> that's what, how it leaked out. Yeah, and there's, there's one thing about that opening as well. It's, it's very Bondian. In what respect? In, in the way that it's kind of not really related to the rest of it. I mean, obviously, it does kind of have the parallels later on. Yeah, but... Yeah. Um, but it's kind of it's like like kind of this neat little adventure to open the film, yeah. And then the film doesn't really actually start proper until the until the uh, everyone's died and the train doors open. Well, with that, then shall we discuss this film sequentially? We we start with a long title sequence where we hear James Horner's um, fantastic score. Having to prepare for last week's film really gave me more of an appreciation for the motion picture score because, like I said at the time. I struggle with the theme. It's years of Star Trek. I don't like the main fanfare. I love the th- I love the opening theme to this film. And I, I, I just love the, the long credits. It's beautiful. I mean, does it? It starts off with like the with the actual original theme, <clears throat> doesn't it, from the TV show? Yeah, the fanfare. And then it builds up and it's sort of like yeah. Which which again, if if you if you listen to some of Battle Beyond the Stars, that's that's there as well. Um, very much kind of almost verbatim taken from it, but yeah, this this was the uh, the first film since the TV series to uh, to use the fanfare because they only used brief bits of the actual main theme, the, do, 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 the kind of downbeat versions that were in the kind of captain's log bits in the motion picture, but they didn't use the fanfare anywhere in the. Uh, I think it was a really good choice. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it, it is the bit that's become more iconic now because it just tends to be used on mm. all of them as well. Absolutely, or a yeah. variant of them. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like a, a, a kind of cornerstone now of, of Star Trek. And then we open up. Uh, it tells us we're in the twenty third century, um, and I do wonder if some of that is because um, time frames were always a lot vaguer before this i mean we we think of it now that this is 23rd century and the next generation's 24th and by a a handful of episodes into the next generation we know exactly what year there's um there's a couple of sort of mistakes and anachronisms in the uh pilot of that you know data's kind of um college year or whatever it is but we know that we know when this is they've nailed down the time frame by this point so I'm assuming that's it, because before that, it was always a bit vague when Star Trek was. I can't remember if the original series told us it was 23rd century. I really can't. No, I can't either. Um, okay. But it's, it's, it's probably, it was probably done as well, I imagine, to, uh, to give an idea to non-Star Trek people. Hang on a minute, this is a bit futuristic. But <laughs> <I can do> <laughs> uh, yeah, this is 1982, what's going on here? Yeah, I really like the sequence. We cut to what appears to be the Enterprise. Yeah, Captain by Kirstie Alley. It, it's, it's one of those classic fake-out fake intro, intro scenes where it's it's like, oh, it was just a test, or oh, it was all set, you know. Um, we see that quite often, don't we? Um, though, thinking about it, I'm not too sure whether we've seen enough of it pre-this. So No. It's quite important, this, though. Uh, not only to the film, but to the franchise as a whole, because it, it will be referred to in a later film. A later film or an earlier film, depending on how you look at it. Uh, but this is the Kobayashi Maru. And we are led to... Now, I've always had a bit of a problem with this. Certainly as it's presented later. Because later on, it's it's that all, all cadets seem to know that it's a no-win scenario. And it's how they deal with fear 
and 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 that's the way it's sold in the later film. Well, if you know it's no win and it's an exercise, why would you feel any feel any fear whatsoever? It, it's a video game, effectively, at that point. In this film, I do get the impression that they don't actually know it's no win uh, because what they're, they're there to res- take uh, rescue some people in the neutral zone from uh some while some klingons are around and basically klingons arrive you've got to have your shields down to be able to transport and basically it's no win and they're killed Uh, the crew are killed sort of one by one almost and it's i I love that little explosion that little accurate explosion it just kills just that person standing at that console (laughs) oh yeah yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) but it finishes uh they're all dead and then the doors open and i love that kirk reveal Mm. It's just got the light shining behind him. It's like it's like almost like a godlike entrance. Like oh, um, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a good it's it's a good well well scene. I mean, you get like you know I said little, little mini explosions. You know, like with with Spock faking out, and it's like oh, we're back, um, which always amuses me. Uh, but you know, it's it, we we get we get to see Kirk, and he's a little bit he's 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 a little bit miffed because he's getting older, and he's like, but he, he chews out uh, Sarek for like saying, oh, what do you not think a no win scenario? Uh, That's why you? I'm saying they don't know because it finishes, and she's like, this isn't fair. This there doesn't appear to be a win to way to win this. Yeah, how didn't you win this? But later on, how how would Kirk know to do what he does later on? So he must have caught wind, and it is a bit. And I always, I always do think of it. It's like, is Kirk being a little bit of a hypocrite here? Maybe you know, Mister. I don't believe in no win scenarios, but lecturing a cadet about, oh well, maybe you know, you should. The point of the test is a no win scenario. Blah, 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 you know. Yeah, but isn't that like at school where teachers tell you off for something yeah. they were probably doing when they were people yeah, themselves? Probably. Or you, I, I, no, it's I mean cool. that's just playing that, the roles. That, 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 that's the thing that, that he says in the film. It's a test of character. It's not yeah. about winning. It's how you react to winning. It's what you do. Yeah. yeah. Kirk's was handled better in this film than it was in the reboot, even though I like yes. the reboot film. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. It, it, I mean, to be fair, on the, on the reboot, it is a different... Different Kirk, probably different, a younger Kirk as well, you know? So Yeah, it, I've, I've got several problems with the way they handle it in that film. I, I think we'll, we'll probably just stick to this film yeah, tonight. Yeah. But it's yeah. more the way they call him out for it in that film as well. Mm, it's like, yeah. I don't think there's a company in the world that would handle discipline that way. When when it, whenever you, were you taken aside by a manager and disciplined in front of a thousand of your first closest friends, <laughs> it just doesn't work like that. But in this film, um, at this point, he's playing the good admiral who is there to you know teach these cadets the lessons that Starfleet would expect their management, if you like, to to pass on. And what I love the fact is Bones is straight into this is a bit of a lark, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's like casually lying on the floor. That that doesn't look very comfortable at all. But he's there, like, yeah. what do you think of my performance? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think this is one of the things that actually leads people who leads people who don't like the motion picture to say you can skip it because that film was about you know I've been promoted, but I actually want the ship, and we're we're recovering that ground at a more appropriate time because this is like fifteen years on from the original series, yeah. twelve years on from Vija. And he's been promoted, and he is older. This this Captain Kirk is different. He's a different man. The, the 1960s Kirk just wouldn't have 
wouldn't have done that scene in any way like that. Mm. Um, but we, it's quite efficient storytelling. We go straight back to his quarters. It's his birthday. Yeah, so, so basically, um, Kurt, uh, Kurt gets visited by McCoy, who uh, it's, it seems to be a, 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 a trope in Star Trek that McCoy always comes to uh, Kirk on his birthday with alcohol. There's kind of a running joke well, about Robin Hood wasn't it? That's meant to be quite hard to get was, hold of. Well, I don't know if it was the first two films, but growing up, I always thought of McCoy as the drunk doctor. And when you <laughs> watch the original series, he's he's not really. So he's I don't know where that something. came from. I always think of him as like a bit. Maybe it was the beard in the last one. It's like he's clean <laughs> coming from a night out. But, um, <laughs> medallion man. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's the, the running joke about Roman and Ian, isn't it? It's always like. You know, it's, it's meant to be on the black market. I, I think, and you can't get hold of it. There, there it's was, also meant to be phenomenally strong because in later later incarnations of the show, uh, you see you know lots of Romulan ale related hangovers and they get horribly crunk. Technically illegal and stuff. Yeah, I think it's also to kind of the idea of McCoy mm. as a kind of not just his uh, his doctor, but his kind of bartender as well, so he can tell him all his problems while they sit down and have a drink. Um, which great. was something that was actually really nicely referenced in Star Trek Beyond, I thought. Definitely. Yeah, I, I noticed that as well. I was like, oh, that's a nice that little touch. It was, the first um, film, it was the first film to nail um, Spock and Bones as a partnership as well. I yeah. Um, and um, I th- I, it's, it's amazing because it's one of the most quotable films ever. And certainly a lot of that comes from McCoy and his, his sparring with, uh, with Spock. Nothing as good as damn it, Jim. I'm a swinger. No. <laughs> um, I really like this scene. He just looks tired, and one of the things that Nicholas Mayer says on on both of his commentaries, he commentates on the film alone, and he commentates on it with someone else as well. And I forget who off the top of my head. Um, he says that the thing with William Shatner is. He said, and there are scenes in the film we'll get to where I can point it out, because he does, um, that William Shatner just plays leading man all the time. So his performance is very big. And he said, so what you do is you do take after take after take, and he starts getting bored, and then he just says the line. He stops acting and starts just doing, is what he says. And you see a lot of that in this film. The character is meant to be feeling a bit over the hill at this point in the film. And all of his body language conveys that to me. Yet when he's on the sort of fake Enterprise bridge with the training sequence, he still plays very sort of leader and managerial. But it's all, that's what Starfleet requires of him. Back in his own quarters, this guy's thoroughly bored and fed up with his life. Let's have a bit of a sit down. Mm. It's like, like, we'll skip to the end. He's like, oh, how do you feel? I feel young, you know, very young. And it's like, oh, okay. So he's kind of gone full circle, I guess, as it were. Yeah, and then has he got a sense that he's fed up of even wanting to even be uh, on on the a captain really, or to to be like in command of a ship because there's yeah, the, oh, it's always it's a like, young man's game. Yeah, it's like yeah. So I, it, I've always taken that as um, uh, a sort of deliberate piece of self denial. Yeah, he he okay. knows he wants to be a Starfleet captain. He knows it's the best thing for him to be doing, but he's of an age he doesn't want to admit he is. Um, he's not sure if he can do it anymore. It's been a long time, and that's why they're training up such a young crew. Because McCoy but, says, "Why, why don't we just put an experienced ship on there to young man's game?" Yeah, but but 
going back to the theme of McCoy and Spock as his counsel, the one one thing that they both tell him is that he needs to be back on a ship because McCoy says in in that scene, get back to your command before you become a part of this collection before you really do grow old, and then and then later on, Spock says it was a mistake take for you to accept promotion commanding a starship is your first best destiny what i like of the bit i i I, you you said that a couple of weeks ago and i added the bit at the end where he says anything else is a waste of materials Mm. because it isn't the the key part to that is of course that it's actually logical not just right yeah if you know what i mean it's right because they know him and it's right for him but it's actually logical for starfleet as well yeah but yeah, there's a little bit of I, I, this is the sort of an early precursor of sort of Picard in this scene. I thought just because um, he suddenly got an interest in antiques and so on, but it's mainly to explain the glasses because uh, yeah. the glasses are old fashioned. They 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 don't need it. Glee, they don't need glasses in that era, but uh, they use a chemical that uh, Kirk is a uh, retinox that he's um, allergic to, so he has to wear eyeglasses, and it's just a nice visual visual thing for the film. See that, that that's the thing that that kind of makes it Maya rather than Roddenberry, is you kind of imagine with Roddenberry that no code's they, perfect. Yeah, they won't, he wouldn't need to be allergic to everyone because I mean the, I don't know if the famous story about the no smoking sign. Yes, there's a no smoking sign on the Enterprise uh, bridge. I, I thought there was, but actually Maya says on the um, commentary it's not actually there, but he wanted it there. Yeah, basically, Nicholas Meyer want, put up a uh, or wanted to put up a no smoking sign on the bridge of the Enterprise, and Roddenberry came and was all right. Rah, 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 why there's no but yeah, the future is perfect. Why is there's no smoking in the future? Yeah, Mayor's like, well, <laughs> people have been doing it for hundreds of years. Are they just going to disappear like that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. actually, since then, smoking rates have probably dropped a lot more than anyone would have predicted. But the fact is there will still be smokers in a couple of hundred years' time, almost certainly. Yeah, absolutely. As much as it might be a very niche thing, it's just, you know, there'll be less of it maybe, but Roddenberry seemed to think humanity would perfect itself within a couple of hundred years, which is probably a bit optimistic. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. The idea that they're better than us doesn't bother me. The idea that they've got a little bit further... But then we cut to, and they let the, they let the characters start to move on. I mean, you've got uh, Bones never seems to change that much to me, um, but um, obviously Spock is effectively a captain now and a tutor, and sort of he's an admiral. Uh, uh, Kirk, uh, he's still an admiral. He was an admiral at the end of the last film, obviously, but he he's he's moved away from Starship Command in total. And then we cut to a ship called the Reliant. Here we actually meet Chekhov. Who's the last? Well, <laughs> yeah. He's, so, At last, so... we were all waiting for Chekhov, weren't we? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Well, that, this, is, this is my point. Before. This is my point. When Khan meets Chekhov, I'm like, hmm. But anyway. Okay, would you like to expand yeah. on that? I like the look of you. Literally, that's what I thought. I thought it was suspicious. Why is it suspicious? But, no, just because... <laughs> I, I just I think it's, it's, it just makes me laugh. He's like, I never forget a face. And just the way he says the line just makes me laugh. Right. Have you twigged he's never met Chekhov? Well, Chekhov, Chekhov wasn't on the show. He wasn't no, he wasn't at that point. So why, why would he know him? That's my big bugbear. 
Well, they, they've always said, well, he could have been elsewhere on the ship, and that's entirely yeah, exactly. possible yeah. because you never okay. saw him being in. What they said to um, he was saying that a lot of the time on the ship, well, uh, on the film, he was getting asked sort of technical questions, Walter Koenig, about different things, and yeah, that's right, and that's the way yeah. we used to do it, and so on. There's like he said he twigged, he said, but he had to choose either honesty or survival. Oh, okay, fair enough. Because, you know, they could just take the lines away from me or just give that scene to her or something. Yeah, so he just enough. went he just went with it. And and the, they've always just gone, well, yeah, the honest answer is it's a mistake, but there is nothing to say just because he wasn't on the first series. He, he wasn't on the bridge. No, he enough. might have been on the no. ship. Yeah. I think you just have to accept that now, don't you? But, um, I mean... What I mean, the only thing that would bug me is that like, you could easily just change, just change a few uh, uh, bits of dialogue, like and and, and reference like uh, Kirk or something. And, like, oh, I know Kirk, you you know, and then have that thing, or you know, you just like just change certain things. Oh, I heard about Khan, rather than like, oh, I know him, but I I I know him. It's like you could had Chekhov say, I've I've been told about him, and that that gives you all you need, really, doesn't it? You know. The vast majority of people either see it, seeing this will have either forgotten. not seen it or forgotten because forgotten, v- yeah. v- VHSs are still relatively new. And even then, you you won't have had the original series recorded on it, I wouldn't have thought. The no. chances of the average viewer in the cinema picking this up is kind of remote. Yeah, no, I would think. Have thought, oh, yeah, that's fine. You know, just and it's a plot hole if you choose to see it as once because the original Enterprise, I think, has got about 400 people on it. There's nothing to say he it's wasn't quite a big crew. I, I think it, I think... I think now it just lives as like kind of like a fun fact kind of thing. It's like fun fact. <laughs> Chekhov fact, never was on. Chekhov <laughs> wasn't there in the first place. Yeah. Well, he was. Yeah. You didn't see him. <laughs> but he he appears to have been promoted. Um, yeah. And he's, he's working with the cop from the Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also in an also unrecognised. That's where I've seen him before. That's where I've seen. Well, you, you'll see him again in an episode, next gen episode called Darmok, but you won't mm. recognise him. Um, no, was, that was really bugging me. I was thinking, where have I seen him? Oh, he looks so familiar. Yeah, he was the he's, also in, he's also in Cliffhanger as well. There I don't are. think I've seen that. Don't bother, Becca. What? We strongly disagree, sir. He, he is it's one of those films that tried to be Die Hard. There was years of them, and they were all shit. Okay. As an offside, I'll put together a list of films that I haven't seen, and you can tell me whether I've seen them or not. That could be a long list. That could be a long <laughs> Just list. for any of us, because thousands of films come out every year. Anyway, moving on. Uh, yes, anyway. The way Montalban speaks in this scene, and uh, just kind of going from quiet, really quiet whispering, and check off, check off, and, um, and then to kind of just mad kind of screaming, and this is City Alpha 5! It, it kind of, it kind of, it kind of like, he just really, he, he's very calm in his delivery. It's one it's one of the criticisms I have of Into Darkness is like he's not portraying the same character. He's very you know he, he is very angry. He's very seething in anger, but he you know he, he just has that one burst of anger. Where, you know he's, he delivers his whole tale of like oh you haven't told you about what happened you know and he's very calm. This is another thing we can correct credit to the director because on first take he basically started off bellowing. And uh, Nicholas Myers only directed a couple of things in the past, and he, he's very young man at this point, very nervous about what do I say to this guy who's got dozens, if not hundreds, of, of credits to his name. And he used a, a quote from Laurence Olivier about never show, never show the, the top because you, at the start because you've got nowhere to go. 
if you start shouting, how do you intensify as you go on? And Montalban looked at him and said, oh, you're going to direct me. Great, I need directing. He wanted, <laughs> he wanted, imp he wanted input on his performance. And basically, he just said, you don't need to shout effectively. And so Mayer, Mayer got him to tone it down and just build to crescendos where needed. All the better for it, I think. Yeah, and I think it's more effective. It, it, you know, it's he's like correcting, like, oh, it's like, oh, well, this is like Delta Six. Like, this is, Del you know, this is Delta, you know. Yeah, uh, in the original Space Seed, he was dropped on a uh, SETI Alpha 6, I believe. Yes. No, sorry, SETI Alpha 5, yeah. mm, which was habitable if a little bit hostile. But six months later, there was an explosion of another planet on in the system. Everything shifted, and it's all, it's bordering on the inhabitable, but he's just about surviving. But his wife, uh, Mar Mar Marla McGivers? Marla McGivers, yeah. Yeah, McGivers, yeah. Uh, Marla McGivers, she's um, not mentioned by name. Uh, yeah, she because it's not that it doesn't want you don't want to alienate people who haven't seen Spacey. No, but the crew member who went with him wasn't strong enough to to cope with that. But some of the sort of supermen, if you like, were. Don't you just hate it when one of your planets blows up? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! Fucking she was, she was killed by the uh, by the eels, wasn't she? Yeah. I mean, what what I like about the end of Space Spacey is the is the fact that even after Kirk beats him. Uh, he he kind of admires him for his decision to send him on the planet where he can effectively grow his his own empire and his own habitants. You know, he's like, thinking, well, you know, well played, sir. You know, I can't mm. buy you. Uh, so you you really do buy the fact that now he's fucking pissed off because this shit happened, and when he's you know, and just, it's just little sort of details. It's like he never bothered to come check on our progress. It's like it's almost like he would have kind of. Still be alright, Addy. Sort of come come by like a few years later and just gone like, oh shit, this happened, right? Well, I'll find you another planet, mate. Near, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Because he, he didn't yeah. come along to bother to see how he was getting yeah. on. I thought, right, this is it, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Madeline Rue, the actress who played Marla MacGyver's, I'm just looking her up. She was diagnosed with MS in 1977. Oh, that was. But it. she did. She did continue to work for a few years, but she died in 2003 at the age of 68. Oh, okay. So not a massively advanced age by any stretch of the imagination. Well, I, th I think it probably would have kind of overcomplicated things if she wasn't there anyway. Because then so, you've got because... to start explaining Spacey to us. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then kind of all well, the, the stuff about my wife, which he really wants revenge for. That's really the only thing. His yeah, wife. That really drives him, really, isn't it? So. Yeah, Kirk leaving her, leaving them there, and then uh, not checking up on them, and then his wife dying. And also, um, if you try and explain this, you've then audience would suddenly want an explanation for the whole um, Carol, Marcus, and David thing, which yeah. isn't really given yeah. to us. So no. no, I think it's absolutely fine. But it does give them a, it does give them a, him a way off the planet yeah. because the Reliant is there. What they're there for? They're there checking up for life signs because of the Genesis project. Genesis has not been explained to us yet, but they need to find something in what we would in modern parlance call the Goldilocks zone. So they need to find somewhere in the right zone relative to a planet that's uh, relative to a star that's uninhabitable or uninhabited. And we, we get an explanation as to why later. They, get a, they think this place isn't habited at all, um, but they get some reading they can't quite understand. And when they go down there, obviously the crew of the Botany Bay are there. So basically they stick this, these things in their ears to wrap oh. around their cortex, which makes them more suggestible. 
Oh, Miss Grizzly scene in the whole film. Oh my god. Mm. I never um, got the grips because apparently these, these things actually kill you, but uh, it doesn't really kill Jackoff. It just kind of crawls out his ear. He's all right. He, he survives. Good. The other guy doesn't, <laughs> but he survives. It's all right. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I just wonder what the the, the, the science of it all was, but because um, the, the idea is they go, they go, they go around you in your eardrum and they just grow and it sends you mad and. You almost get the impression from the film that the two of them fight it. Yeah. And yeah. One's, one's a bit more successful than the other. It's almost like it's like a body re- re- rejecting a transplanted organ or something. Mm. Um, it's not quite explained to us, but, but yeah, Chekhov's yeah. in agony and it does come out of his ear. Yeah, he's successful that, in getting rid of it. Yeah, because he says, he says that they grow inside. That, of course, um, it doesn't have time to. That's why it yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so I imagine so that's how he killed yeah, I, I like the I like the effects of it though because it's not like um like the, the reboot films where you see like CG slugs and things like that. It's a natural kind of what's it called like, animatronic type creature, isn't it? Um, yeah, it, it's just it's, 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 it's a real thing, like, well, not, not a real thing, but it's a real like thing they've they've created. Yeah, you know, it's it's basically the way the way they they did it, um, and it's this was the first starship film that industrial light and magic worked on. Mm. Another fun uh, fact coming up. Sorry. No, no, um, that's all right. Go ahead. We haven't got to the we haven't got to the scene in question yet. Anyway, but yeah, we won't, we won't be blabbering. You can mention it anyway. It's all right. But the, the way the way they made those eels was basically kind of like like pull along toys. So sections of it made with kind of like fishing line, and then kind of pulled along to make it to make it look like it was moving. One of the notes, uh, one of the things Roddenberry got. I mean, Roddenberry said some truly stupid things about this film. One of the things he said was. So that they screwed up the character of Khan, and then he was a much better character in Space Seed, which just sounds like pathetic sound um, groups. Um, and the other thing they said was, when this thing comes out of Chekhov's ear, Kirk kills it, and he says, they wouldn't, Kirk would have studied it. <laughs> and I'm like, well, not at the expense of life, you fool. No. Um, <laughs> I don't know what world he was living in by this point, but... Um, was so, he on yeah, something, Khan- maybe? I don't know. Yeah, Khan gets off the planet and they go to um, regular one, which is the, uh, the the space station from the motion picture, the the thing at the beginning from motion picture. Yeah, um, upside down. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, they're not all standing on their heads though. But <laughs> <laughs> to be just, one, there's one one thing about. I hope this isn't another of your fun facts. No, it's not. The, it's uh, about the, the reliance. All the fun facts prior to recording. Oh, did you? I didn't see that. That was, that was days ago. <laughs> it was a while ago now, sorry. Okay. Basically, um, when they sent the Reliant, uh, the drawings of the Reliant, it was originally looked like the Enterprise, but when Leonard Nimoy, or sorry, um, it was Harv Bennett, was working with a film on a film in Israel, I think it was, possibly with Leonard Nimoy, he uh, looked at it upside down and signed it upside down. Oh. So they got it back and went, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. hey, that's a bonus fun fact for you, folks. I th- I th- the bar's being raised for your facts now, Becca. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> but we meet Carol Marcus at this point. Do we meet Carol Marcus at this point? Uh, we do, don't we? Because che- Chekhov um, basically calls through to them and says, we're taking Genesis. Yeah, because yeah. basically what's happened off screen is uh, Khan's taken over the the Reliant and sent all the crew, left all the crew basically down on where, where he was and is basically taking command of the Reliant uh, in form of Chekhov and... Um, Who's the, who's the um... Captain Terrell? Terrell, yeah. Um, oh, basically he takes them. those two with them, but they yeah. are, they are now under an effectively a degree of mind control. Yeah, yeah. 
basically held at gunpoint, more or less, essentially. Um, and they basically tells her like, "Oh, yep, we found, yeah, we found uh, the planet. Uh, please send Genesis to us." Yeah, they just say it's it's an order, and and then you've got we don't know at this stage, but you've got Carol and David. I don't think we immediately know who they are and what their relationship to each other is, but you've got an older scientist and a younger scientist. The older one being a lady, the younger one being a, a man. And the younger one is clearly extremely distrustful of Starfleet. And he thinks this is extremely typical of Starfleet, that they've done all this work and now it's just going to be taken from them. Mm. He's not a fan, so, is he? And he says that SETI Alpha 5 was was clear as it is clear of life, so we're going to test Genesis on it. And yeah. it's Khan's way of trying to get hold of Genesis. And what, what's Khan? Also- so go on, Charlie. And also luring Kirk, because Chekhov says the orders came from Admiral James T. Kirk. Yeah. Yes, so that, so they respond by you know getting older Starfleet and Kirk and saying, yeah. what on Earth is going on? And yeah. I, I think um, that's just brilliant. And it's a scripted. broken schedule. I think it's brilliantly scripted that as well. Cause it's just a little idea of just like how what he's what he's planning. You know, he's just like a oh, simple simple little thing. Throwing the fact it's Kirk, and he'll message Kirk saying, did, Dang, did you give this order?" And Kirk will come along and I can kill him. Great. <laughs> Effective. And yeah. also, it's a, it's a broken transmission. Yeah, and it, 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 they're just going. Well, what about Genesis? What? What? Who's taking it? Mm. He's not completely clear what's going on. So he thinks, well, I've got to repeat that bit from the motion picture when I fly up to the ship. <laughs> <laughs> but let's do it quicker with different music. <laughs> it is a reuse. So all this, all this space dock stuff is. From the motion picture, um, which isn't a problem as far as I'm concerned. No, no I, I didn't find that too obvious to be honest. I mean, it's you can kind of you can kind of tell, but I didn't have a major problem with it. It's it is what it is. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, it's just a simple like oh, just a, a shot of like of a ship docking. You know, it's like all right, you know. Um, she accepts it. Yeah. So does does Kirk take command again? Or is he kind of like there as like an observer? No, he he gets on the ship. Uh, he's he's already, yeah, he's on the ship, but he's on the ship as admiral. He goes to see Spock in Spock's quarters. That leads to the quote that Charlie came out with. I quite like that scene because Spock's just sat there meditating, basically, mm. which I quite like. Well, Nicholas Meyer said he he wasn't happy with the set they ended up using, and he said if I'd been a bit more experienced, I would have fought a bit more on that. Mm. But I quite like the scene. And he's basically saying to Kirk, he, he doesn't just come out with, you're a great captain. I mean, it, the film's not as on the nose as that. The gist is that you are the ranking officer. It is what you you are meant to be doing. And I'm Vulcan. I don't have a, an ego to bruise. Mm. So, yeah, you're in charge. Yeah, you get back. You, you so got high go, rank, you're in charge. Yeah. Yeah, they go back on the they go back on the bridge, and he immediately um, uh, puts it in the log that he's back on command. All done a little bit quicker than the motion picture. Yeah. We lose the <laughs> start quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, motion picture, they take their sweet time. Uh, this yeah, one, in the so motion much. picture, Kirk was still on Earth shaving at this point. Probably. <laughs> 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 well, the motion picture, yeah, Kirk was still on the on the on the docking ship, lost there in Enterprise, <laughs> staring at the ship. <laughs> I don't think he got on the docking ship at that stage. Very different. Still pace. ogling it from but, the um, afar. So yeah, you, they, they they head off to investigate. Did you guys watch the director's edition or? 
No, I watched the normal Blu-ray, and I think you guys too did too. Yeah, I thought there was more differences than the work. There's only three minutes of extra footage. Mm. It's not a great deal of difference between the two. And just before you you, you go into the, some of the differences, Charlie, Nicholas Mayer actually says. Well, before I say that, if if you're listening to this and you're thinking about buying The Wrath of Khan, go get the director's cut because it's branching anyway. You can watch Mm. the theatrical version. But Nicholas Mayer said, he said, well, you know, he said, I had a debate over certain things in the film, like Scotty's cousin. He said, and I won some and I lost some. And he said, to be honest, the ones I lost, it's not that much. He said, I'm not a great believer in director's cuts. And he said, I think it's just a way to stiff the fans. And he said, so the cut that went out, I'm happy with. But there is three minutes of footage in a different version that puts in more of the things he wanted. Yeah. Isn't some of it as well as like how it looks? I mean, in the the, the, the shots of Genesis at the end, uh, it's supposed to look like a lot brighter and a lot um, more different. than. It's a new transfer. Yeah. I do know that. Yeah. That, no, that would apply to the theatrical cut of it as well. Yeah. No, it's, it's really just kind of mainly the, the stuff with, with, with Scotty's nephew. The kid Peter Preston, does it does it mention in the in the in the theatrical cut that he is his nephew? No, 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 no. Whereas, no. So basically, Scotty is so, inordinately proud of him, mm. and he just turns up on the bridge with carrying him. And Gene Roddenberry complained because he said Scotty is a professional in the twenty fourth century. He wouldn't do that, and all the rest of it. And it, yeah. it's like. There was another one. I must try. I must. Ah, yeah. While I'm on the subject of Roddenberry, it's not related to this film, but I just got to quickly tell you, there's an episode of The Next Generation where a kid loses his mother and he he goes into like mourning and eventually he ends up like being taken under Data's wing. And Roddenberry tossed the script on the basis that he's a 24th century kid. He wouldn't be mourning. He'd be grateful for his mother's life. So apparently, um, people don't fucking mourn in a company. <laughs> it's like the force. Like mourn just... them not. Yeah, but yeah, Scotty in this film, Scott. Uh, there is a young um, ensign in engineering, we assume an ensign, who dies in the first attack. Yeah, because so Scotty brings him on the bridge, but there's no real explanation of why he brings him on. No. Other than that, he was just one of the men. But yeah, it's, it, <clears throat> in the director's edition. He just um, explains that he's his nephew, and uh, and it's, there's a quite a funny little sequence where um, the, uh, the where he defends the Enterprise against Captain Kirk about Admiral Kirk when he's making his inspection because he talks about how everyone ribs him about why the Enterprise being a flying death trap, yeah. um, and it's it's quite a nice little scene. And yeah, it's not essential, but it's. Kind of give just to give us a bit more a bit more background into that scene. Well, I mean, on the one hand, it's three minutes extra, so double dipping is not justified. But at the same time, it isn't like say the Alien special edition where it's like seventeen minutes longer. Yeah. And right. for all the stuff you can <clears throat> get that you get that's extra, you might argue, well, it damages the pace of the film. I think that's more the case with Terminator too, actually. So I, th- I think it, it it doesn't damage anything, and in fact. The things that are there are, are are actually improvements, but there's just not much of it. Yeah, exactly. Half of them are like alternate scenes, alternate takes of scenes. Anyway, like you know, it's the same stuff, but just done from a different angle or just different or different takes of it. A couple slightly of them, yeah. different dialogue, rather. You know, it's, it's still the same stuff. Yeah, it's kind of happens in film all the time. Anyway, you see kind of 
you watch trailers and then you see the films and there's different takes compared to what was in the trailer and you have something like um various like star wars where in the various editions of Star Wars that have been over the years, even before they did the special edition things, mm. dialogue changed with every kind of re-release and things like that. But I mean, yeah, like I said, just all the um, the transfers in the original Blu-ray box set are pretty terrible, to be honest with you. So I definitely, yeah, especially because you can get it for like eight quid on Amazon, go for the uh, yeah. buy the director's edition. If you haven't got it, get yeah. the director's one. Yeah, the better transfer. Um, but also out. it branches you can get that you can just watch the theatrical cut yeah it's not like it's one or the other totally. it, for that yeah. price it's totally worth it but if you've already got it and you're happy with the transfer don't bother it's, it's yeah. really not well, worth of course yeah yeah so yeah they, they've got to head off to uh investigate what's happened basically and then they encounter a friendly ship from the same fleet yes oh yeah so it, it, things actually do pick up quite fast in this film compared to last week really um, <laughs> it moves along at a really good yeah, pace i but, think compared to like the last week it was quite not not plodding but more like reminiscent it was more kind of yeah. more, more thoughtful and, then, and of course um, but this just, film has a, has a much quicker pace to it and, and of course just before that we're introduced to genesis itself of course uh, yes. yes because he's like it's just such genesis a cave. storytelling yeah because yeah. who's taking genesis the viewers thinking what's genesis and then and basically uh, yeah, ba- and basically McCoy and Spock have a debate about oh, whether it's brilliant. right or wrong, and 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 this is why why I think it's it it you know the fans re- re- one of the things that sort of that speaks to the fans is like this is pure Star Trek. You know, you got like McCoy uh, and and Spock disagreeing on something, and, you know, from a logical stand. You know, Spock's t- talking from like oh, logically. We also, must- in the last film, where where Bones ribs Spock, a you don't really get a response, but b that sort of even I'm pleased to see you. Yeah. requires knowledge of the original show well why wouldn't yeah. you be this this scene gives you everything you need to know about the dynamic even if you've never seen star trek the quarters are a bit more sort of below stairs and naval as well and you you we get we get who carol marcus is she's mm. working on it and we the our three main protagonists are shown what genesis is and they have a proper debate about it as well and again that that Another quality line from McCoy, where he says, "According to myth, God created the world in six days. Now watch out! Here comes Genesis. We'll do it for you in six seconds." Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> it's a great line. And, and Spock's like, "Oh, you, you, you must you like, must learn to cover your passion." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and what it is, frankly, is it's a torpedo that you introduce to a dead planet, and it creates a lush vegetation a, a, a sort of quick evolution cycle of plant life and all the rest of it and what you're left with is uh, basically an empty uh, clean unpolluted version of earth so yeah a planet that can support life yes more on that sort of next week but the point of the debate here is bones rightly points out well what happens if you fire it at a populated planet mm. yes yeah, so more moral kind of question yeah. isn't it really it could be used as a weapon as well you, you do know, shouldn't like, you um, yeah yeah and obviously spock being spock's quite calm explaining that and that's where sort of bone starts to lose his shit yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like the man's so talking about logic <laughs> it's like, it's got this thing. surprise surprise um yeah we, we it, know at this point that the person we saw was carol marcus this video is about a year ago the planet thing we see is stage three they're probably up to stage two, which is an underground test. 
and we'll see what that means later. Basically, then they get approached by uh, the, the USS Reliance, um, yep. but it's not uh, transmitting any, any signal thing. What the fuck's what's going on it's approaching very suspiciously but obviously got the shields down because thinking well obviously it's federation yeah it's federation uh um but we know khan's in there knowing like oh sort of really sort of trying to sort of lure get basically kill kirk essentially um in a false sense of security and um basically kirk gets ass handed to him uh yeah they get close enough to just start firing Mm. They can't raise shields in time. Uh, most of the damage is taken in engineering, which is precise by Khan as well. He did it deliberately to kind of. To, you know, well, he wanted. He didn't want to blow it up to start with. He wanted to cripple them and yeah. then tell, then show them who it was. Mm. Yeah, very sneaky. <laughs> very sneaky. Yes, hence Kirk's next nine. Khan, you sneaky devil. <laughs> <laughs> why you? You why, why you the trickster it? you? I love how Khan is reveling in this. He's like, oh, he's so like, you know, ah, oh, I like Admiral Kirk. You, you know, you remember? I can't help but be touched. Um, he's already been he's warned had, like, at this point as well. Planet, yeah, he? but he's already been warned at this point. He's already been told by. Well, I think that might be his son, but it's certainly one of the younger, uh, sort of uh, genetically enhanced members mm. of his team. Says to him, "Consider this. You've got a craft. You've beaten him. You don't need to beat him again." Yeah, but can't can't let it go. It's and that that yeah, is yeah. actually a Shakespeare, that is like a tragic flaw. That's is, actually yeah. pretty Shakespearean. Um, I mean, mm. Khan in Space Seed is pretty uh, formidable. Uh, in this film, it, it is his crucial flaw. You know, in, and he he is flawed as a villain. He's not. You know, he's too blinded by sheer rage and quest for vengeance. He doesn't sort yeah. of see like. The sort of well, the smart play is like well, you know, I've I've kind of beat him in one sense, and I've got I've got Genesis, and I've got a ship now. You know, I'll find Kirk another time. I, you know, I'll you know I, I can I can I can find I can find and get I get to Kirk another time. He can wait. You know, but he's just like no, I I must have Kirk now. He, he rants as well when Kirk outsmarts him as well. He's kind of like no, you know, <laughs> he's proper. He's all about I want. Fucking, he almost, he almost like wants to have sex. I don't know. He's, he's kind of begging. Like... <laughs> well, this is this is the Captain Ahab thing, and yeah. And when he quotes directly from when when the guy Joachim points out that he's beaten the plans of Admiral Kirk, we do not defeat him again. Um, and he pulls out direct quotes from Moby Dick. And says he tasks me, and I shall have him for it. I'll chase him round the moons of Nibia, and round the Antares maelstrom, and round Perdition's flames before I give him up. So you can see kind of how mental he is there. And yeah, he's obsessed with revenge. And uh, but we doesn't... don't. Uh, we get the impression Marla didn't die that long after they got there. No. So he's had years. Yeah. Of a, a horrendous. Yeah existence stewing on someone who's actually been fairly successful he doesn't know kirk's not particularly happy what i did what i do love about the next scene is it plays into the the maturing of the characters this is i mean not only does kirk have to put the glasses on Mm. but it's a wily it's an experienced man's tactic it's somebody who knows all the starfleet regulations and how things work yeah, he's, he's kind of teaching Savick at the same time, isn't it? It's like you know, you have to know how these things work. I love Shatner. We forgot to mention it. I love I love Shatner's face when uh, Savick's taking him out of space talk. 
<laughs> he looks fucking terrified. <laughs> Pete said, do you want any tranquilizers? <laughs> um, but yeah, what they what they have to do is is uh, ascertain a code that will force the Reliant to drop its shields. And it is a fail-safe within Starfleet to stop hijacks of ships, basically. Yeah, and it 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 works. It, you know, it's like, and, he, and Kirk doesn't really give himself any credit for it. He's like, it's like, oh, well, well done, you asked I, I did nothing. You know, I caught me with my pants down. Yeah, yeah. I was lucky to know something he didn't. You know, <laughs> you know, it was it, it was a shot in the dark because he even played like, you know, they're playing the fact that well, Khan Smart he could he could figure that out. Could have been changed. Yeah, he could have figured this out, but. Um, they're doing it against a time limit as well because yeah. like right I'll give you 60 seconds yeah so you've got the countdown factor I, as well I, 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 I do love the, the fact when like uh, Khan asks for Genesis Kirk just goes like Genesis what's that, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> what's up then <laughs> but what I love is as well is I think he's already worked out what his plan is so he says that transparently yeah he says that in a way that like well no one would believe he doesn't know <laughs> and, <laughs> and as much as I, Shatner's good enough in this film that I think that was deliberate because another scene where M- Maya says that when he says here it comes they had to do numerous takes of that he said because it turned into almost a yodel he was kind <laughs> oh, of really? he said he was really kind of telegraphing it it was like here it comes <laughs> um, and he said he did it so many times he got bored and he eventually just went here it comes and it's that naturalistic it's, he's not telegraphing it anymore he was on bad delivery. The director was all over bad deliveries. So I do think Genesis, what's that? Was a deliberate. I'll let you know. I know what it is. Yeah. I'd love to have seen this, like the first take version of this film. That would have been hilarious. Here it goes. <laughs> <laughs> what's that? Yeah. That would be amazing. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> Harold Marcus is like, where did I? Where have I heard that before? <laughs> Um, oh, right. dro- and what I love is he says it, our shields are dropping raise them <laughs> <laughs> I, it's pretty much I, I, love, I love the, the, the techno speaking Star Trek so it's literally like sort of it's like you say raise the shields it's like it's like no it's, it's not working like, it's almost like it says no <laughs> yeah literally it says no press the button no and it's, it, it's so clear compared to uh how it gets in later years with like the next generation it's ludicrous I, I love that era of Trek but the techno babble got stupid but in its defence at least when it in regards to um, Khan's on the ship you know there is the you know obviously the sense that they don't quite figure everything out yet because they've literally just taken command of it so they're on a ship and they just you know they, they... yeah strangely enough he hasn't designed a better starship in moments <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, yeah, but, Why not? Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah but, do you know what I mean? He doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't know where. F, how you know, to he's work from an everything. era where, like, he might, if he's lucky, come up with the iPod first. <laughs> no, no, but you know what I mean. He's like, he, he doesn't know what how everything works on that ship. He doesn't know no, the ins and outs of it. No, so it, it plays more like that, really. So I think that to. Yeah. And of course, they get some. That's what he says. Basically, he's caught me with bridges down. He's lost men in this attack. Mm. We see him mm-hmm. sort of tour sick bay. He gets that sort of blood hand print on him. As the, scene. It's the word. I like that as well. That's another sort of naval thing, isn't it? Is the word given? I like I, that. I, I did think yeah. um, McCoy literally like he, he he literally just had his last breath, and McCoy's already there with the sheet gun. <laughs> yeah. 
It's like you're not going to check yeah, his pulse but, or anything. You, know, like, you don't <laughs> want the camera to turn around and record, you know, Forrest Kelly's over at Craft Services. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right, hang on. <laughs> he's in his trailer. I'll just get him. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? He does, like, he's, he's barely, yeah, he hasn't even checked his pulse. Or... <laughs> I suspect he he knows it's it's a question of he, he knows moments, coming, so. um, but he knows the captain's there, so it's like, well, I'll give him enough time to say, you know, the captain's... And, and it's got his reaction as well. I just kind of, it's just... Because know. again, it's his nephew. Yeah, pulls at your heartstrings. We, even though we don't know that, it's still quite an emotionally... He stayed vaccine, in his post when the others ran. When the others ran, oh! It's, it's, it's very sad. Next, they head head to regular one, I believe. Yes, they uh, decide to. Um, is it just look for survivors, or just try and see, find out what's happened? Both, because uh, really, because they knew it was being jammed. Yeah. The signal the was being jammed. Signal was being jammed. That's why they were having problems getting the signal when they were on Earth. Yeah. So they go there to find out. I mean, they, at this point, they don't know. He's asked him for information on Genesis, which suggests he hasn't got it. Hmm. So they're going to. They need to go and find that for a start. So they go to regular one, and this is really quite creepy. I think this is probably one of the reasons why this feels like a more gruesome, like more the more violent one, because you know there isn't actually much on-screen violence, but this bit where you find like the predominantly of like all these all these scientists hanging upside down with a throat slit, it's just like fucking oh, that's hell. horrible. Yeah. Well, this was this was originally a fifteen when it was on video. It was. Really? I think, I think it, it still came, is. It came out when it came out initially. It was PG because they cut it, and then then they re-released it as the uncut version. It was fifteen. Oh. I, I guess a bit like License to Kill, uh, which is a yeah. massive deal at the time. Oh sure. To us as fans. It's a twelve. It's a twelve on home release now. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But obviously, a twelve wouldn't have existed back then. So no. Yeah. Well, I think the ratings have um, softened now as well. Anyway, I think yeah, yeah, it would have over time. I don't think it was a hard fifteen, but it's a clear fifteen yeah. for that era. I think in tone as well, because it's you know it's very adult. It's quite grim, it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean even Shatner's de- yeah. wig alone shouldn't be appreciated. <laughs> by <laughs> yeah, because when, when when they find the, the the regular one guys hanging up where they've been, their fates have been slipped. It's really, really kind of a harrowing. Yeah. And it, it mentions how, like, it, it was done quite recently as well. Like, he says, like, rigor mortis hasn't set in, you know. Yeah, they've, they've been dead a, a matter of not very long at all, a few hours. No. Yeah. They just think, oh, grisly. Yeah. There's quite a few grim moments, quite a lot of grim moments in this film, which is like, oh. Yeah, they really are. But for um, first, first time viewer. But again, it's the experience that it's like, well, the, the trail's gone cold. But obviously, they've got. Uh, where the la- the last transport happened, and the last transport went down into the sort of inside of this planet, so that's risky in itself because you could just be beaming into mm. rock. It could have been anything. <laughs> and yet they all go at once. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they'll get everything. They've really got them. a choice. Yeah. No. Um, they, they can all talk. Oh, they're they, doing it. So. They, they find um, uh, Chekhov and um, Terrell. Yeah, we've got to mention that. Um, oh yes. So yeah, the the but the, the they've kind of rejoined the gang. They kind of say, "Oh, they just we." Did they say they they hid or they just got locked in? They just got left there to die. Yeah, um, which is convenient. I mean, he yeah. could have killed both of them, but I suppose they were already going to be killed by that slug in their brain anyway, as yeah. far as he was aware. Um, and I think with the quality of this film, I can give it that little pass. 
Um, but yeah, so they're beaming down to basically a little bunker, it appears, at this stage. And Carol and David Marcus are there. Is, isn't there like a little bit of information, um, like in terms of like the orders that Kurt gives to Spock? Yeah, um, which is, I'm not fond of this. It's a bit transparent, this, isn't it? If we go by the book, days will yeah. seem like weeks. And, but we've got um, minutes, actually. It's basically saying we'll pick you up in two hours. Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. It basically it's like a code, really. That, but they that... they know they they know that it's very likely, Khan will be monitoring, and he is. So um, yeah, they they beam down to. Uh... Oh, that's the thing. He also wants. He, he tries to get Terrell to uh, kill Kirk. Hmm. Yeah, and Terrell actually manages. It's a bit of a struggle, and it's well acted. But he manages. He still to he still shoots that other scientist guy. <laughs> yeah. Something. Yeah. But yeah. But he, he he gets control of it. But the only way he can stop it is to kill himself, uh, which he does. And Chekhov's fighting it as well, and the slug comes out of his ear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's you got to love, like you know, big uh, plastic here with blood dripping down. The beer looks shit. The bug. Looks think, yeah, that does that does take you out of the scene a little bit. I mean, it's quite interesting. You know, they made up this you know massive model of, of his ear, but you just think, oh, it's obviously quite obviously a model. <laughs> just take you out of it a little bit. I know it's always a bit creepy. There's always something about um, gore in that sense. You know, so the old seventies, eighties kind of like effects. You know, we see like parts of even body with blood and it's it just looks even though the hand looks or the ear looks completely fake it just looks weird and creepy i don't i don't know what it is yeah no it's just a it bit does. strange I, I think it's a pretty good scene um and it's a minor thing but i just quite like the way kurt aims his phaser at it i just yeah i just like that gene Roddenberry didn't <laughs> gene Roddenberry no he didn't um yeah he um but we do find out that carol uh, as had as history with Kirk and David is his son. Yeah, you find out a bit more, don't you? Um, and if we take this in real time, we're 15 years on from the end of the five-year mission. David is clearly in his 20s. So this mm-hmm. pre, so David was um, around during the five-year mission, but Kirk, we think, didn't know at that stage. I'm just trying to figure out if he is. Yeah, isn't it to be like early 20s, isn't he? So. The actor's about 23 when this is. Yeah, yeah. He sort of he can kind of pull off I don't know 18, 19 or something in there somewhere. But but he's, yeah, a, no, but he's a he's a scientist and he's fairly. Yeah. I think if anything, he'd be playing slightly older than 23. Do you not think he was a bit whiny as a character though? I wasn't wildly in love with him, but a lot of it I didn't like was just little things like um, I, this was um, Mayer's decision, but the the sort of. Um, the jumper around the shoulders later. It, oh, yeah. It's like it's like basically they've rescued the guy from the Blue Lagoon and dressed him up for a picnic. Uh, <laughs> it was a style at the time. <laughs> so I'm not so fond of that. But yeah, we find out he's a father, and again, it all feeds into the films, the themes of it. And again, we'll see it again with Picard in later incarnations that Kirk has sort of denied himself a family, effectively, or effectively he's been a de- denied a family because of the life he's chosen. No. And again, it's, it paints him as older. The actor went on to appear in an episode of The Next Generation and sadly died of AIDS, six, or uh, complications from AIDS about six yeah. years after this. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, he was in a first or second season episode, of, ne- first season episode of Next Gen, I think it was. I'll keep an eye out. And of course, cut, we get the famous scene, because we've got the two hours and all the rest of it, and that they're going to be picked up. We don't know that as viewers at the time, although clearly something's up. And then Khan steals Genesis. Yeah, because he already got the uh, coordinates from um, Tyrell before. Um, 
he basically tells uh, Kirk. Um, Kirk tries to sort of uh, goad him into getting down there, get, yeah. coming down. And yeah, kind of just goes, well, you know what? You kind of buried under rock. I'll leave you how long you let yeah. me. And that, you know, and that goes into the uh, the it's infamous the intro scene to this episode. Yeah, the infamous buried alive. Mm. Buried alive. I, I I don't know about that. I always think Shannon looks looks a bit of an idiot when he screams car now. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I don't know. I always find this. Yeah, I know it's iconic and everything, but I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I like it myself. The expression on his face is a bit weird, isn't it? I, I don't <laughs> think I like the idea that Kurt would just shout calm like that. I don't know. It just and quickly it just echoing across the planet. It just looks very like very comic comical. It was, it was, it was almost like a gag. I think it's because his head's sort of shaking while he does it a little <laughs> yeah. bit. <laughs> Almost like you can't contain it. I, I, don't know. Yeah, well, I think the point is that he has literally come to the end of his test. He's a bit out of control. Yeah, he's, and, he is. and it's something you've never seen from Kurt before. You don't very often see him lose his and I shit, think basically. With yeah. Other, yeah, with everything that's kind of happened to this point, it's him letting out. Loses his rag. He's like, go on! Yeah. I can't do an impression, but never mind. I don't know, it's just in the next scene he's calls a cucumber now, you know, he's like, you know, I'm going to get some eat, something to eat. But I think maybe that is yeah. letting his frustration out. Could be. His, Could be. His, his way of kind of dissipating and kind of something that is not professional for a uh, for an officer and certainly not for a, for a captain. I think but we all have to do I have, I have read takes of it where um, he's faking that for Khan's benefit. Um, but think, the very yeah. fact Genesis has just been stolen, no, I think it's genuine. Yeah. Yeah. And then we, we actually see the power of this thing, because we go straight into... Because he said, oh, I thought this was Genesis. He said, no, this took about nine months to tunnel out. Genesis is mm. through there. Um, and they go through the door. And again, the look of wonder on Shatner's face, knowing what how Shatner can be, I'm really impressed by this. Yeah. You You start to... Funnily enough, if I'd never seen it... it because I wasn't thinking of later in the film, or if I was, it was very unconsciously. I just thought Shatner looked a bit younger in that scene, and of course, it's part of the themes of the film. They have the um, the, the pickup uh, about like oh you like is it, does it is it only get established then that Kurt was the only one who um... he's the yeah, Bone says you're, you're looking, looking at, at the only at the only person yeah. ever to beat Cobra the no win scenario. Yeah. And she asks, because Savik has sort of talked her way into going down there. She shows a bit of emotion for a, for a Vulcan. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we'll talk about that when we get to a later film. Um, funnily enough, one she's not in. But uh, there is, something, <laughs> there is something not said here that actually gets sort of passed on to a later character. She shows a bit more emotion here. Uh, but she really wants to know how he... And he basically says, I've reprogrammed the test. She, I just <laughs> reprogrammed But she did... You cheated. Change the conditions of the test. Yeah, and he actually looks a bit of a swat when he turns and says, "I've got accommodation for original thinking." And also, <laughs> that one piece of body language tells me why Pine's take on it's wrong. New Kirk or not? That's what pisses me off about the the reboot is that it's this brilliant way where he's got accommodation of original thinking, whereas in the new one he's immediately reprimanded by Spock. Yeah. Who's his teacher? Who says it's all about fear rather than character? 
Yeah. And it's all it all just feels It's not about fear. It can't be about fear. You know yeah. it's not real. And Spock's a wanker in that film. I thought you meant generally. <laughs> 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 no, no, no. And that's why, yeah, it, it, it in, in the first in, in, is a wanker. <laughs> well, fun fact. Potentially. <laughs> yeah, pom pom far. Um but yeah, yeah he's just, just, again. Just, just <laughs> in some in some of that film, especially that part, he, he comes across as a real twat, and that's why I I I did like that some of that part, some of that but film again, because of that. The fact that we but, we've convened this hearing and we've called in every <laughs> fucking yeah. we've got. <clears throat> it's like n- never mind quiet room with your union rep. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in, it's, uh, it's a recording as well. Really, in in that it? scene, it it feels more like a court hearing. You know, it's like he's he's up here to defend it, his actions, kind of thing. It, it kind of. But again, it's where that film gets by on a lot of yeah, uh, yeah. style, so, not yeah. substance. Because it yeah. looks fine and it plays fine till you think about it. It's yeah, because like, like when, when, when Kirk does the Kobayashi Marie, he's like absolutely smug. Um, doesn't even do it himself. Gets someone else. Well, to well, it. I think that's exactly it. I think in in the new Star Trek, it is a blatant. Well, I cheated. Whereas this one, I think in in like the the original. That was one, a very studious cadet's answer to the test. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it, not some twat going. Ah, I can sort this out yeah. again, again because because Kirk was supposed to be a bookworm and not the. I can, uh, take, I can take that the newest Kirk isn't because it's a different timeline. What I can't take is him treating it like it's a fucking game. Yeah, when it's his third go it in it, and there's crew there, and there's like senior people in with Spock and all the rest of it, and I'm thinking. You're in your final year. You're, you you yeah. are like three years on. You've pretty much mm. qualified. You wouldn't be behaving like this. And that, that's the thing. No. Kirk, Kirk says it was all about his. It's all about him changing the condition of the test and his ingenuity. Whereas it's presented in the new film as uh, oh look he's just got some he's just got some time and he's cheated. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, almost yeah, exactly. like it's got to get one over on them. Yeah, in yeah. The future version here. It is genuinely his reaction to the test they've given him. My, yeah, exactly. It is effect- if you if it was an essay, he'd be starting off by saying, "I I actually reject the premises of the question you're asking me." Yeah. That's what so, it is. It, mm. it, it 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 could ease. I mean, you couldn't do it cinematically, obviously, but it is no different than say you're a history student and you're asked why some historical leader behaved a certain way and your belief is actually they didn't. So you immediately reject the premises of the question. Mm. The premise is you've got to deal, learn to deal with a no-win scenario. He rejects the premise of that. Yeah, and, and he does it essentially how he would deal with a no-win scenario. He would change the condition or he would change the environment that he's in. And that's... Yeah. That, and that's why he got combination for original thinking because it was it, it was how it's how he would deal with it. He would like he would say, right, I'm in a fucked up situation. You know, it's like same with anything. If you're in a in a in a place where you can't lose, well, you just you just move to a different place, or you would do something. You think out the box, or whatever, or or whatever it is, rather than trying to try and. As it goes, he's sort of proved wrong. Yeah, but he's been proved wrong very late in his career he spent his whole life that belief has shielded him from no win scenarios in the next film he says what have i done and he says what you always do turned a certain death into a fighting chance to live mm. and he does that 
partly because he's so good, but partly because he doesn't actually ever really believe that's going to happen. And that's mm. you can read all of that into this scene if you are so, if you so wish. There's more nuance to the later version than we're saying here because we're not reviewing the 2009 film. We'll say more about it when we get there because we are being a bit simplistic because it is a different Kirk. But the gist is there is much more nuance in what he's doing here than when it's reinterpreted later on and it's more relevant to the story. Whereas back then it was just ticking it was just ticking a box, really. I've just realised that in both in both scenes he's eating an apple. I've just realised. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's, <laughs> that's a verbal, verbal nod, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so he's, he's basically explaining that, uh, and he's like, he's saying, "Oh, I, I, I don't like to lose." And then, um, and this is this is finally the Kirk I want. Yeah. Because uh, Picard, I've always been a Picard guy, but I love this Kirk. It's just the fact that he tells this story, looks fairly pleased with himself, but not particularly smug. And then he opens up his communicator with a bit of a flourish. Yeah. And just says, well, that was the great thing. It was like when we had flip phones. Yeah. Quite like yeah. That flourish yeah, that's what it reminds me of. <laughs> but it's just like, well, they were based on that. That was this. It was based on this as an idea. Yeah. Uh, Motorola saw this. And, yeah. But he says, you know, it's been two hours. And it, they realize, and he just gets up, says, I don't like to lose. And just takes a bite of his yeah. apple. And I'm just thinking, this is the this is a cat I'm on board with. Yeah. fantastic i love really it cool. yeah. and then they're straight back to the ship and yeah. we're into kind of the final act then mm. i mean it's really efficient storytelling really sort of like to the point no you know no messing uh, around yeah no messing around these are no bones but then like, um, well no but yeah um but uh yeah it's, it's it's really well and literally kirk is back on the ship and he's like right damage port what what can we do what works you know and he's trying to assess a plan on what to how to stop calm and uh... and they head into a nebula, which actually kind of reminds me of. Um, it actually reminds me of uh, later on with the next generation, where they're in the best of both worlds, where they're trying to get away, from, hide from the Borg. Yeah. And they go into a nebula, and basically, I'm sure that was based on this. I'm sure it's based on the fact that suddenly your sensors don't work, and your your pictures are kind of intermittent, mm. and you're basically flying blind. And again, it's the importance of the people around him. Yeah. The odds are even. So the odds are even. So yeah, they, they fly in a nebula, sort of in in view of Khan. So Khan would be like, right, I must, you know, to basically lure, lure Khan with the with Genesis, so he doesn't just fly off like he should do. And you know, it's and 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 Khan is on full like you know mad mode. He is he he is like no, I'm you know he's he's almost like screaming and ranting. Well, he's 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 been beaten at this point. Yeah. Uh, he's not definitively. It's like the war's still on, but he's just lost a battle. Yeah. He's in like the, in that, in that he, he left Kirk, he left Kirk to die. Now Kirk's back on the fucking ship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he's like, no, he's so he's yeah, he's he's chasing after Kirk, even though he, his entire crew is is you know it is essentially telling telling him what are you doing. You know, we, you know, we've got we've got a ship, we've got you know, so it's just. You know, and he's and he's like ramping a raven, and um, yeah, and it's basically what gets a naval battle. Yes, but I was just thinking about naval battles, and of course they're 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 in two planes, aren't they? In the mm. you, you can go left and right, forward and back. Space is in three dimensions. Three dimensional thinking. 
and that is kind of reference. Charlie, you mentioned this earlier on in the in in the in the show that Spock points this out to him. Yeah, yeah. He says his pattern indicates two dimensional thinking. He's, and again, he's intelligent, but he's not experienced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a crux that we expect um, spaceships, especially in Star Trek, that go from left to right. They don't go up or down. Whereas obviously submarines, that's one thing they do. Yeah. is they go up and down, they have all kind of different options in terms of where to go. So this is one of the few films where you kind of see those different planes and the, the different kind of access being used and here to uh, to his advantage, so to Kirk's advantage. I don't know if they literally meant in three dimensions, but of course that's how, how he gets him. They drop and then they sort of rise up behind them. Exactly, yeah. Which you, so see think... a, you see a little bit in the uh, in the 2009 version, them sort of hiding in things and drop coming out of stuff, but yeah. it's really well done. So it's, it's Khan gets the adjustingly uh, engineered superior mind with his intellect, kind of gets his ass handed to him, kind of rather yeah. stupidly, really. Yeah. Well, he shouldn't be there in the first place, should he? Yeah, you know, it's like, exactly, it's, he's... Yeah, but then he was a leader of like a th- quarter of the globe or something, mm. you know. And we all know, like, to be at the top in stuff, you kind of have to have a bit of a competitive instinct. Quite mm. apart from Wrath, he, he would just have to finish that one off and win. Yeah. But of course, he's set, he's uh, he's it's quite good makeup actually. It, when he's hurt and his half oh, his yeah, face yeah, is yeah. it's burned. really impressive, isn't it? Yeah. And he's like, that, quite, I always such, you know, it's quite hand... a sort of handsome man, and he's got this like literally one half of his face missing. I, I thought I actually thought his hand was badly charred. Then I realised he never took his second glove off. Yeah, yeah. No, got <laughs> that hand. Had it on the whole time. Shiny as well. I, I always think when um, when his um, it, it, is it meant to be his son? I'm to say, was it kind of just his second? I command? honestly don't know. Sort of a, I don't but, know. but when it, when he dies, he's like. I will avenge you. And I was thinking, it's your own fucking fault he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> the, other, the other thing we don't know is, I, I don't know if genetically enhanced people like age faster or grow up faster, I mean. Because mm. that, that man is clearly in his 20s. But he, he could be, yeah, but he could be like 13 or 14 and he could be the son of him and Mac- MacGyver. I don't know. <laughs> MacGyver, not MacGyver. <laughs> He, he, he does kind of look like MacGyver, though, to be fair. Um, They've well, opened some letters or something like that. Well, oh, the, the, that was the other thing I was going to point out, was that, that you know, Khan, obviously, Khan looks as, like, as, old, as old as you expect him to, but everyone else just looks like they're still in their 30s or 20s. <laughs> so it's, just, it's, just, it's, it's, it's just a bit like, as no one is, there's no other did rest there's, of your There's, there's, there's no explanation up. for it, is well, there? Really? Get, well, they started off with, like, 72 of them survived. Yeah. Originally, when they were taken out of the Botany Bay. There were 84 of them and 72 of the pods survived. I don't know if that was 72 plus Khan or Khan was one of the 72. I think it was 72 plus Khan. There are a lot less than 72 people there. I think it might just be survival of the fittest. Mm. I think it might literally be that, yeah, the, the strongest have survived and they tend to be the younger ones. All right. Okay, Maybe. So, I may, don't know. Could be. Okay. Uh, but of course, a Genesis is set running. Yeah, from got, Hell's, was it Hell's Pet? From Hell's Heart, I stab it. Yeah. Mm. And of course, they can't go to warp. They're too yeah. damaged from earlier in the film. Then Khan knows this, kind of like going, right, well, I, I'm fucked. I'm going to take 
you down with me. The other thing is when they fire at each other, it is very nautical in that you think you watch a film like Master and Commander, mm-hmm. where the ships come alongside each other and just blow yeah. the shit out of each other, and it's very like that. So yeah, even even that occurred to me. But yeah, Genesis is going to blow up basically and kill all of them, unless they can get to warp. So what's the problem with how come? What does Spock do to fix the warp? Well, I can tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't go Chris Pine style and go in and just kick it repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what he's doing actually. I don't even know what that room is because it's not the warp core, is it? He's just no. He's just taking. No. He's just. You know, taking stuff out of a box or something, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's unwrapping his Christmas presents. <laughs> oh, yes, it's a box of celebrations, but they're toxic. Toxic celebrations. Basically, he goes into an area of high radiation. Yeah, uh, radiation is leaking uh, because Scotty passes out almost straight away, and uh, Spot goes to go in there. Bones tries to stop him on the basis that it will kill him. And he uh, says, okay, fair enough, just to get him to turn the other way. And he just basically does a Vulcan nerve pinch and then just melts with him. We later find out. But at the time, it's just a strange little remember. Okay, what's that mean? Fair enough. And he goes in. And no, it's really well edited because you do forget about Spock a couple of times during the next few minutes. Mm. As they go on to other things, Mm. the, the, the bridge crew have not noticed. No, it's actually the last kind of scene that they focus on, isn't it? The sort of empty chair, as it were, and then they cut to the next scene, and it's like, oh, surely nobody else would know, but no. Yeah, no one's noticed. They're too busy trying to just get away as best they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it basically comes like a ticking time bomb, really, isn't it? It's like... Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, it's the uh, the countdown to disaster, as it always is. Yeah. The last minute. Um, apparently, it's a dilithium reactor room. All right. Places, so Spox. That's where the uh, the main reactor is apparently. So that's what he's doing, mm-hmm. right? So I suppose maybe realigning the dilithium crystals or whatever, right? But again, not just but, kicking. Yeah, exactly. No, he's just actually, he's actually repeatedly. fixing it. Yeah, and then because that yeah. needs the captain, didn't it? <laughs> I'll best get the captain in here. He knows more, more about kicking this than anyone. That's <laughs> 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 uh, Chris Pine for you. That's not Chris Pine's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Typical Chris Pine, always kicking stuff. Chris Pine, you're an asshole. <laughs> According to Becca, <laughs> Becca's called yeah, now, it's a Smackdown bitch. <laughs> that's a few films away, we'll get there. So yeah, uh, Spock fixes the warp, and uh, literally at the last minute. Now I've always felt like this scene always... I always keep expecting it for like a reaction shot of Khan seeing the, the Enterprise just like warp out warp out there just before no things but yeah I kind of I kind of yeah. I kind of always feel like like oh they always they always should have that kind of like that little sort of realisation of that, that, that fuck no he's gone you know I mean not, not after like a no but just like that mm. little sort of like lost him realisation in his eyes like going oh you know and then you know I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just being mean. Uh, uh, I've never really noticed if I'm on that closure, Chris. Well, he yeah. dies. Well, yeah, but I'm, he yeah. wants it even closer. Yeah, I know. That's what I mean by being. <laughs> he, he dies while on the Reliant before they well, before they warp away. Oh, do they? Does, uh, does yeah. he? Oh, okay. I didn't know. Afi says I spit. I spit my last breath at the 
Um, and he, he dies. Go, no. Oh, okay. I, I just assumed he was still kind of like sat, it's like, it's like sort of lying down, waiting to like, <laughs> watch you watching the monster. Like, <laughs> okay, well, no, no, no. He's run out of stuff to quote in the book. He's just like, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's um, quoting. Maybe he never. He realizes he never actually finished Moby Dick, so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Missed out huge chunks. I'm too used to movie logic where, like, when someone dies of, the, of like that, they only go, oh, and just, you know, a little sort of like a last <laughs> yeah. breath or something. Resigned, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. very rarely void their bowels in these films, do they? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he I mean, you don't get it. moments after Spock dies, like, God, it stinks as shit now. <laughs> But anyway. anyway, moving on. Well, yeah, I wasn't really going that way, but okay. <laughs> but Captain, I think you ought to get down here. And mm. it's just, you know immediately. And shit. I don't it's think has ever been better in anything. No. And the, and the way it's done as well with the, the kind of the juxtaposition of the Genesis planet being born, essentially, and then the death of Spock. And the way he's, well, as it's showing the shots of it kind of being created as he's running down the uh, the little kind of shafts and whatever that he goes on, yeah. and when he when he just kind of <laughs> skips down. Like, sorry, sorry, I'm laughing at the idea of while they, while, while Shatner's uh, sliding down. <laughs> this is a somber moment, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> That's tickled Dave. Um, and the the way he slides down the ladder. Okay, go. Cool. <laughs> He's got the giggles. <laughs> Um, and yeah, and then I never took the Kobayashi Maru test until now. What do you think of my solution? It's a very He's held back, and again, I've seen so much bad William Shatner acting over the years mm. that you'd expect him to strain more against it and be more histrionic, but he's not. It's, it's, and, it's, and you get kind of a slightly whimpering, no. Just yeah. out of him, which anyone copying and me copying there sounds funny, but it just doesn't at the time. Yeah, although, like, although um, I think uh, Scotty's a bit tactless. He's dead already. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a bit harsh. Fuck him, fancy he's a pie. dead Jim. Apparently, <laughs> that line was actually meant to be McCoy, uh, meant to saying like he's dead, Jim. That would have been ridiculous. Well, yeah, been well, exactly. It, it would make it would make sense for the doctor to say, but apparently they they changed it to. Um, Dead already. To, 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 to Scotty because he knew the fact that at that time I thought, hang on, it'll just make it a bit awkward or a bit unintentionally funny because that's kind of McCoy's line to say he's dead, Jim. You know, but to relate it to that scene would have been a bit like. Okay, at least McCoy wasn't place. taking credit this week like last yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the planet. <laughs> but yeah, this is this scene's just beautifully, beautifully shot. It's probably the sort of thing I'll have as a screenshot when we put our commentary up on, on YouTube and stuff. Beautifully played scene. They've never been better in anything. And it's exhibit A. I mean, Into Darkness is a bad film, full stop. But this is exhibit A as to why Wrath of Khan fans hate it more than most. Because this was just fantastic. Don't touch it. It's not that there can't ever be a better Star Trek film. Of course there could be. But d- don't do it by referencing this, because this was about as good as it ever got with this crew, mm. this scene. It's especially where the whole thing behind this is that Kirk and Spock have been friends for 20 years or so. Yeah, not 20 Whereas years. Whereas in Into Darkness, they still kind of hated each other. By... 
They're still mm-hmm. they're still getting used to each other. It's certainly. exactly yeah, and then suddenly, um, and suddenly screaming Khan, even though it was more Admiral Marcus's fault. But Admiral Marcus doesn't work yeah. quite the same it's not way. The same ring to it. Uh, it's just bollocks. But then, this, this scene we'll, is we'll just get, we'll, so We'll beautiful. get to that, but I, I I completely agree with everything that's just been said. <laughs> His logical reasoning. The needs yeah, of the many. It, and again, yeah, like, needs of the few. And then it cuts straight to the, basically the the sort of. Well, it's not a funeral, is it? It's the send off, effectively. Yeah. Well, uh, I suppose it is. It is. It is their version of a funeral. Yeah. And what one, I love one, about it is, it, again, it's got that nautical feel to it. it yeah. It's about to be buried at sea. Mm. Uh, one one thing I always loved about the, the the death scene was that when he does live long and prosper and does the salute, it's almost like Kurt can't, can't do it. He, he, yeah, it's a little bit strange, isn't it? They, they didn't try he, he to touches it, copy he each touches other. It, but he doesn't do the vocal. No, salute. he doesn't. He doesn't do the yeah. salute. No, like he can't do it. And that's just a really really nice touch. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you have Scotty on the bagpipes. Yeah. <laughs> But I like the way that expands out that music as as we get mm. as it sort of gets mm. fired out. I yeah. love I love Shatner's performance here. Uh, I just do, and I, it, I've I feel like I'm continually saying that about him, and I, I think it is a little bit because he can be bad. He just can. I mean, even if yeah. you really like Captain Kirk, even if you like really like William Shatner, we can pull out numerous examples of him just being awful in scenes. But not in this film, mm. and not really in this film series by and large. There's a couple of examples a bit later on. I don't necessarily think he's particularly good in Generations, but he's he's um, really really good here. So something about working with um, with Nicholas Mayer seems to work really well for him. Yeah, it's 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 he's Kirk. He's not Shatner. He's Kirk, and I think that's kind of the key difference sometimes when him with him playing characters, and uh, yeah, certainly later on. And generations, especially, he's kind of half Kirk, half Shatner. Yeah. Whereas here, he's all all Kirk, and just the little kind of lump he gets in his throat. Again, if I described that to somebody who knows Shatner, knows Star Trek, but hasn't seen this film, the image they'd get in their head and and the sound they'd hear in their mind would be kind of really hammy and overdone. But mm. the catch in the throat is pretty subtle and really good. I, I, I think I think what works for me is like the you know you can get you can. Get, you can kind of get caught up in, you know, the the Shatner, uh, the Kirk kind of like, you know, isms, you know, so to speak, you know, the, the way way he performs, but you, you actually do feel what he's feeling in this film. So when he delivers, you know, that that speech uh, at Spock's funeral, you know, you do feel it. You know, it's it's subtle. It's it's there. You know, it's still Shatner in it, but you know. It is the emotion is there. You do feel it, and that's what is great about it. You know, it's it is proper quote unquote acting. You know, it's you know it's still Shatner's not Shatner being like oh no, also not going to be mature. It's still in plain Kirk, but it, it, you do feel that emotion. They've all disappeared into their characters mm. at this point and sort of mm. taken taken us with them, and I just think the whole thing's beautiful. And the next scene's beautiful as well, where he's but because. He gets fired off uh, towards the planet and it sort of coincides with the sunrise. And then you see him in his quarters and, and David says to him, you really never it have faced death, have you? Yeah, let's go and have a picnic uh, <laughs> and an afternoon at the cricket. Yeah, because uh, it, it, it almost sounds like he's telling him off. And then you kind of realise that he's really kind of coming to reconnect with him. No, he says, I'm proud to be your son. And, and basically... Yeah. 
he wasn't. He fe- he thought he was abandoned. Effectively, his mother didn't want him going out gallivanting yeah. around the galaxy with his with his with his father. Um, so he was kept away from his his dad. His dad signed up to that and went okay. And for years, he's been resentful of Kirk and of Starfleet. And now it's a mixture of he was wrong, but it was also Kirk has grown up anyway. Mm. And I just really love that scene. I, I love the way they hug each other. I just think they, every scene, just they really think about the yeah. delivery they want to be in the final film. That's a really tender moment. It's, a, it's almost like a, a kind of, what should I be doing here when he hugs him? It's yeah. kind of David hugs him and he kind of, there's a slight bit of not reluctance, but a kind of, Okay, this is something I'm not used to, but awkward almost. Yeah, it's really nice. I and mean, he even that... tries to get out the, out of there to start with. It's like <clears> I've <throat> just bought myself a drink. Would you like it? You know. I'm... Yeah. Oh. And then that beautiful final scene, which is just all the of... film, scenes of the film being brought together again. That yeah, you know, um, about death just being a part of life. It, it, it's not final because we remember him. Kirk has rediscovered purpose and. Aging isn't about physical age; it's about feeling purpose in life. Um, so it, he feels young because he feels needed and necessary again, and yeah. where he should be, and he should be in David's life, and he should be captain of the ship. Mm. It's just there's so much thematic richness in this film. But as a straight-up action film, you can enjoy it too. Multi-layered. It's all right, isn't it? It's a beautiful <laughs> film. It's an yeah, absolute okay. favour yeah. of mine. Uh, and, you know, I would take this incarnation of Star Trek, and I mean just this this crew, this film, this setting, over anything, really. I, I There's other there's other Trek I can watch and enjoy and forget about this because it's such a vast universe. I've been watching a fair bit of DS9 this week, and it's one of the ones I'm not as familiar with, and I've been really enjoying it. But I always say about Picard being my captain, and that's true across the whole piece, but this Kirk at this point, I think is fantastic. Absolutely. And uh, you, you mentioned his acting. There's the little bit when he kind of, you see him go to say something and then he doesn't, and then he kind of thinks about it and then and then says, um, it's a far, far better thing I do than I've ever done. And it's just a brilliant little moment. Um, no, yeah, far better resting place. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that little pause. He sort of like, sort of lies a little side, doesn't he? You know, yeah. That's very poignant, I think. And then the music as it goes to the uh, the planet, um, and then Spock right at the end doing the, the narration. Yeah, it's a lovely touch. A, I think an, an amazing touch. Yeah. He delivers I think it. The, 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 um, so nicely. It changes slightly as well. There's different words used. There's new new life forms. I think they add a little bit. But it's, it's a really nice touch having Spock yeah, read out the narration at the end. I think they have to change a little bit because of changing it, the five-year mission to the. Uh, um, it's continu- continuing, continuing mission. mission. Yeah. yeah, and of course yeah. this is pre-next gen, so it would have been the first time they'd said that. But it's it's just the fact that because uh, Leonard Nimoy does it at the end of the 2009 film. He does. Mm. Which again I like, but I just love his delivery here. But yeah, final thoughts on the Wrath of Khan, everybody. Have we done it pretty much? Uh, yeah, again, straight. I I agree pretty much everything that um, you guys have said on it. Um, it is. Still, my favourite Star Trek film. What one thing I didn't mention is how good everyone is is in it. I mean, Shatner, Shatner included. I think it's the best performance. 
uh, in Star Trek. I can't, I can't, I've not seen his entire body work, but it's his I've best seen, dramatic performance, yeah. certainly. So yeah. yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't not believe it because you know I'd, I'd imagine it probably is, but yeah, it, 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 it his work is in this film is amazing. Um, I think everyone is just solidly good. It's just a solid piece of work. I think it just that's why it just stands out. I'd agree with that for sure. I mean, I'll, I'll rank them as we go along. Um, not as we go along. Um, I'll rank them at the end, obviously, when we've seen them all, because obviously you come into this franchise. Um, yeah, it's, it's solid direction. You know, score is amazing. Um, solid performances from, from Shatner all the way. Um, really touching and tender moments as well. And um, the, the effects, I, I quite like, I'm really impressed by the effects of this film as well. Um, but yeah, this is, I've really enjoyed this film, and I say I'll happily watch it again. I do feel slightly uninformed on it, though, Becca. I feel yes. like there's more I could learn. Something fun, maybe? Um, hopefully factual. <laughs> Funny you should mention that, because I do have five fun facts about this film. Facts! Come on, Carl, check back! <laughs> The um, Genesis plant scene is the first fractal-based CGI scene in film, also created by what would become go on to become ILM, mostly Pixar. Fact number two, Kirsty Alley's role as Savick was one of her first big screen roles. No, no Ted Danson, though. Yeah, apart from Ted Danson falling off his chair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is probably one of my Danson most favourite facts. As William Shatner slides down shafts. <laughs> Very sexy chef, this. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm generally waiting for the day for a film to come out starring Ted Danson and actually just called like falling off your chair just imagine how amazing that would be I will go look I will have a look around surely he must have fallen off a chair like you know somewhere I've probably seen in Three Men and a Baby or something like that where something like that happens I don't know one of those movies anyway was that second fact was it this is fact number three because I've done my anyway in fact I've done in fact it's a hack press well done (laughs) Brilliant. We didn't just make shit up on this on the show, you know. Just... <laughs> yeah, it's not that brilliant. Fucking move on. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant would be the right word for it. Anyway, I've got a couple of other fun facts. Um, another one being that Khan's henchmen are all played by Chippendale dancers. <laughs> That's why they all look so buff. And then my last fact is also earlier on in the film they mentioned that um, Scotty's had about this is a reference to his um, James doing heart attack before the film began so and that's my fun fact folks it's a five. Oh, I'm missing one no. have you mentioned his chest what there's real yeah well, no because we mentioned earlier in the show about um, Shatner and Montalban not actually meeting What's because of the his chest <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> It's, it's, it's his real chest isn't it it's not like oh, no, it's, it's real no yeah. he was just very buff and worked out okay. did a lot of push ups apparently that's yeah. passable, folks. <laughs> I've got a good one. Go on, if then. You want Originally, when Nicholas Meyer wrote the script, he called it The Undiscovered Country, which ended up, as everyone knows, being the title of Star Trek VI. Um, they didn't like that, so they called it The Vengeance of Khan. And then at the same time, uh, the trailers and posters started coming out for Return of the Jedi, which at that point was called Revenge of the Jedi. So they changed it to the Wrath of Khan, and uh, oh. then they changed Return of Revenge of the Jedi back to Return of the Jedi. And when the film was shown on seventy millimeter prints, it was just called Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan. There was no two in the title. 
Okay, so sequel bit was added a bit later on. That is fun, but at the same time, I'm still quite worried I can't find footage anywhere of Ted Danson falling off a chair. <laughs> and, and, I've, and, I've, and I've been looking for pretty much the last three or four minutes. We'll have to, we'll have to manipulate it. Particularly, you know, cheers, I just thought, there's bound to be something in his office, but there you go. Oh, it anyway. didn't fall off a bar stool or anything? Exactly. Shocking. But anyway. I'm, sure, I'm shocking. sure it's out there. You just have it to must watch. be. I'm, I'm sure it happened in cheers at some point. Wow. That's what I call an entertaining podcast discussion. <laughs> Where can we find us on social media, folks? Uh, you can find me at Cinematronics on Twitter. Uh, you can find this podcast as well as the, the few that I rarely update. There is one coming soon. It'll be out by the t- actually, it'll be, it'll be out by the time you've fingers crossed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, it, it will be out by the time uh, you listen to this. Uh, it was me and Dave talking about the uh, the the recent summer films on our opinions when we kind of forgot to talk about Warcraft and Independence Day too. Yeah, we're not so... doing it here. <laughs> is, is that saying something? Sort of no, it's just one of the things that I completely forgot about them. But, um, but yeah, yeah, Independence Day 2 was shit, but I can't didn't talk Warcraft. about Abfab the fucking movie either. What's your point? <laughs> that was quite good. I, I enjoyed that. Really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I found it funny. There we are. Uh, yeah, but yeah, that that will be uh, at the website soon. So uh, yeah, uh, check it out. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Films on Wax, um, and you can um, check out the website at filmsonwax.thedigitalfix.com. You can get me at the Pasty Kid nineteen seventy six on Twitter. You can follow me at RV Movies, but you can also follow us on Twitter at Expect Us to Talk, and also Facebook.com slash Expect Us to Talk. If you want to, you could also drop us an email. Expect us to talk at gmail.com. Well, I'm really, really hoping that um, next week we can cover a film where they go looking for someone when they actually know where they last left him. <laughs> Which means, Becca! We will return next week with Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, a.k.a. Finding Nimoy. <laughs>